this time on Those Conspiracy Guys, we look at quite possibly the most famous case of the modern American mass murderer. A story of a man and his following family who, through the strange facts of their murderous agendas, became known by one name, Manson. The incredible and harrowing story of the Manson family and their eventual end would transform the very fabric of youth culture of the late 60s and early 70s American life. The free love, universal peace, mind-altering and elevating substance experimentation that drove the revolution of that era is said to have ended with the actions of the Manson family. In 1971, Charles Manson was found guilty of the horrific murders of seven people, despite the fact that he never personally took the life of any of his victims. In a case that shocked and horrified society, Manson was found guilty under a joint responsibility ruling of equal culpability for any crime committed by one of his followers on his orders. Since then, rumours about his connections to the CIA and their much maligned MKUltra program have acted as a foil to claims of his satanic leanings and occultish worship. Did the CIA really have a hand in the fueling of Manson and his murderous movement? Were the actions of the Manson family one small part of the American government agenda to demonise and delegitimise the revolution movement of the Sweden 60s? Did Charles Manson possess the demonic, shamanistic aura of an otherworldly guru in the vein of Rasputin or Hitler? Or was this simply the evils of mind-bending and breaking psychotropic drug use connected to the dark heart of human behaviour? So come with us as we take a tentative step on the Helter Skelter and look at one of the most macabre families in history. This time on Those Conspiracy Guys, it's the Manson family. Hello everybody and welcome to this time on Those Conspiracy Guys. We're talking about the Manson family. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's the Manson family. Get real. Sounds like one of those uh, kind of travelling musical families, like the Partridge yeah, family. The Kelly the family. family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of travelling musical touring group, kind of a tight knit unit and yeah. kind of minimal abuse, sexual abuse. <laughs> that's what you <laughs> like think of. Like the Brady Bunch. Yeah, like you, when yeah. you hear of like the Manson, you, you, that's what you picture. You picture that kind of thing. Get in there and watch your sister changing. Yeah, unless you know uh, something about the Manson family, in which case you picture something far more horrific. Yeah. Or the Brady Bunch, the stories about them too. Brady Bunch is pretty I horrific, know. the stories you hear about them as well. Oh, it's Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Greg is upstairs fingering. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> when will he ever come downstairs and finger me? Yeah, and then the mom is having sex with one of the kids. What? Yeah. You don't think about the Brady Bunch? Yeah. Uh, the lady yeah. who played the mother ended up dating the middle boy actor. Awesome. Yeah, crazy. Awesome. Right? Did a reverse Woody Allen. What a lucky guy. Well, look at Manson. No, Allen. reverse Man, Woody Allen is where she she's at the bottom, but then you're like spinning around. <laughs> reverse Woody Allen. It's already got there. I was going to say this is going to get real very quickly, and yeah. it already has. It's already gotten too real. Welcome to the Manson family, folks. Yeah, well, um, uh, I mean, we have we have with you. Don't want to hear that phrase, but <laughs> welcome, welcome to welcome the Manson family, family. Folks. You're part yeah. of the family. Yeah, uh, we have our illustrious guest 
Dave is with us again. Yeah, he's with us Hello. again. You may, you may remember him from our Tesla episode. He's the one who explained how a battery works and electricity comes in my house and my phone lights come on. Yeah. Uh, but I actually didn't know how that happened, so he explained that to us. That was very helpful. Yeah, I watched a lot of YouTube videos Yeah. after that of high school teachers explaining what stuff was. And I was like, oh, I wish I had pen attention. I wish I had pen attention. Yeah. Electricity. Ironically, this week I'll be explaining how to brainwash young women to do your bidding. He no, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's he does in his part gig when he's not being an electrician, I suppose. Yeah, so he, he was uh, expertly witnessing to electrical information on the Tesla episode. Now you're going to be expertly witnessing to mass murdering. <laughs> <laughs> Coercing. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Well, this, this uh, like, without fear of yeah. ruining this. Welcome back, like, by the way. Oh, yeah, welcome. Without wanting to you know, cause any spoiler alerts or ruin the anticipation of what's going yes. to happen in this show uh this is some crazy ass shit yeah. going on in this one we spent the week researching charlie manson and to be honest a week is too long yes too long <laughs> to be consistently listening to the wafflings of charlie manson oh. before uh <laughs> before i went researching you know I, I i'm quite a big fan of some if you can call it a fan of this story and oh, okay. of charlie manson and how right, okay. you know how he conducts himself and i'm like a fan in the fact that, like, yeah, if he's on, I'll, I'll watch him. If he's if there's a, a video of him that's come out, coming out, like, I'd, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I'll watch there's that. There's a new interview for a new parole yeah. hearing on the news. You'd be like, what's this guy going to say now? What's he going to say? What's he going to cut in, into his head now? Is he mm. going to cut, like, you know, a, a, a moon and a star? Sort of a Liam Gallagher-esque. Sort of a, a Muslim. He's, Don't yeah. agree with what he's saying, but, like, when he's on there, you're like, what the hell is he He can't look news? away. Yeah. It's like an old woman falling down the up escalator. <laughs> You'll watch it for ages before you'll do anything about it. That's the thing. So it holds the place, same place in your heart as a YouTube video of cats playing a string. Uh, no. You just can't look away. It's it's more of like um, that fat kid in Australia that like picked up and body slammed a little skinny bully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little bit upsetting to know that there's a backstory behind it that's probably as grim as watching him do that. Yeah. But also like the, I think justice is maybe the wrong word, but the, mm. the feeling of like, you know, right-handedness. Like, yeah, okay, this is... There's something to this that was just misrepresented. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, you listen to Charlie Manson talk and you go like, yeah, you're making sense, but also you're fucking mental. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Some yeah. of the stuff he says is like, yeah, you're dead right, dude. But like, you don't have to kill people about it. Yeah. Mm. Or convince other people to kill people about it. But I suppose the man has an infinity amount of time to... To, plan to think about to it say. and say what... Yeah. You know, to I mean, plan like very, a three-minute soundbite interview. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, he spends, like, a year getting ready to talk for three minutes. It's wow. the way it is, you know? So, um, well, an intelligent guy, though, nonetheless, we can do that. How, how do you feel about Charlie Manson before we get into how it? How do I feel about Charlie Manson? How, well, there's kind of two ways I, I feel about Charlie Manson. You know, physical and emotional. No, uh, there's, uh, there'd be, like, the way I felt about him before research yeah, before, began, before this episode. Yeah, yeah what, was that? I feel what was that? I'll say, the way I felt about him before, I didn't know a huge amount about Charlie Manson. I knew Charlie Manson was one of them crazy mass murderer types, like your Jeffrey Dahmer's, like your Ted Bundy's kind. And I knew about Ted Bundy, and I knew somewhat about, about Dahmer. Um, Charlie Manson, I didn't know a huge amount about it other than an appearance in the South Park episode. And, uh, you know, some, some pictures and whatnot I've seen just picking up through the cultural consciousness yeah. over my life. Like, he's part of, of our existence yeah. on planet Earth. Like, But I always yeah. assumed he'd just done a lot of murdering. Like, he was up there in the, the 20s or 30s kind of thing. And I don't know, I had it in my head, like, something he went around in the 60s in a van, just, like, picking up people and murdering them, stuff like that. Something like that. Just, like, in the ether, you were just grabbing Exactly. And I was, like, I was like seeing some flashes of photographs. And one of them murder guys. Yeah, and tied it all up in my own brain and wrote my own narrative and went, that'll do. 
That's yeah, what that's, that's about. enough. I don't yeah, need yeah. to look anymore. And to be honest, whoever's listening to this show probably has already done research on Charlie Manson because he's not something you click on out of frivolity. Yeah, just for the laugh of it. <laughs> but to be honest, like we go through it and it's a bit grim. Or, or maybe, not, they're, maybe they're a huge fan of us and they just know that we'll, any, any topic yeah, will take a good we're gonna, swing We're going to take it through. Like, it yeah. may be a little bit distasteful at but times. That's, but the, like, that's the Charlie of, I think, if you don't know a huge amount about him. If you've researched the topic quite hard and then had to like look at a bit of him talking, you'll find, for the first part, you'll find him quite charismatic. Everything. His magnetism, like I, yeah. I listened to him for ages talking. I'm like, and he talks in such a weird old like '60s way. Yeah, and, and he's, he's he's very watchable, and you think, you know, super when, entertaining. When, yeah, when he was younger, and like that animated as he is now, but like when he was younger, free, and more and vital. Yes, and free and outside, and presenting a world where it's like, hey, here's such and such person from the music industry, here's such and such person from the film industry, and he seems very connected into all that yeah. world. I could see him being quite seductive. So I no, think it was no, just spent a week looking him up. Also, After a week of looking him up, yeah. Uh, also, and especially in the sixties, early sixties, when the free love movement was just kicking off, mm-hmm. and these ideas were just coming around of uh, everyone can be nice to each other and be really cool and groovy. And there's this dude who's very charismatic and very eloquent and says a lot of very interesting things that nineteen-year-old girls really, really want to hear. And boys, um, it's a different time. Um, we went over this in the Tesla episode as well. The, the mid sixties from the mid fifties was a huge leap, yeah, mm-hmm. a huge leap. But they were breaking and down borders. The difference. And there yeah. was a massive advancement in in social consciousness, like mm-hmm. as in you know the the abolition or the beginning of the abolition of racism, mm-hmm. uh, female equality. It was like, okay, all you white guys, stop ruining it for all those yeah. cool people and if I can come in on a conspiracy tip if this truly was the beginning or well the the acceleration of alien interaction extraterrestrial interaction with human beings then this the 50s to 60s may well be the formative decade of human history yeah, yeah. may well be yeah I mean the advancement in those 20 years from 1950 to 1970 hmm. is like yeah it's unsurpassed in it's speed and it's and the cultural, and the cultural, exactly. Yes, the world, the speed, the world. Like technologically, now we're flying along, but it's you know it's predicted that that's yeah. how fast it should it's be. Going. Yeah, but yeah, the, the changes that an individual human being in this era, the, the Manson family era, that an individual person in their lifetime had to deal with was huge. Was yeah. as big a change as any human beings ever had to deal with. Yeah, in their lifetime. It's, it's like moving house twice in the one year. You're like fuck's sake. <laughs> it's mental. So but, what? What do you think now? After you've looked him up? For okay, a after looking at him for a week. I think of him, and like by the facts of the the case and the incident, the event, the life, the time, uh, he just seems like an evil little bigoted coward, piece of crap. Okay, just seems a thirty unlikable person, and I don't but really he's very magnetic, he's incredibly very... charismatic and magnetic. Has a certain, and I think there's a thing for me. There's a canter about the way people talk that makes them more listenable that makes yeah. you pay more attention to other people Christopher Walken for instance has it in spades yeah it, there's nothing particularly pleasurable with the way he talks but when he talks you people just listen. kind of yeah you have to hone in it's like Margaret uh, Freeman yeah Margaret Freeman has it Nicholas Cage believe it or not has, has it. it has it even John Travolta John Travolta has it like there's a thing about and it's people's particular kind of, and there's no like particular thing because they're all different and if it's uh, if Facebook and Twitter Pee Wee Herman Joe Pasquale do not have it Joe Pasquale definitely has it 
Really? Yeah. yeah. Why do you think, how do you think he got famous? Yeah, Jesus you pay someone else to write it for him. Well, and if Facebook and Twitter are anything to go by, we obviously have it. Yeah, or so the people think. I mean, no, the no, people who, you the people. Uh, you the people who are listening to this. Yeah, box it off. So, Dave, what general. did you think before and after you were, were going to do this? Um, Just so we know where we're coming into when we're set on with it. My, yeah. my knowledge of Charlie Manson beforehand was he was a cult leader of some kind and that famous image of the Time Life magazine. Hmm. Where he's staring wide-eyed and megalomaniacal at the camera and looks like a crazy freak. Mm-hmm. Um, looks as if his mind has been melted and there's <laughs> nothing else there. And that was the image I had of him. And that connected with some kind of cult leadery stuff and killed loads of people. See, this is, this is the thing. Uh, this show is going to be basically like telling you the biography of Charlie Manson and the Manson mm-hmm. family and how... You know, the, the murders happened and all the stuff happened. And there's a lot of, like, misconceptions and, and mm-hmm. stuff that's out in the social ether that you think, oh, yeah, Charlie Manson, big murder. Oh, he's mental. And people have, there's a stigma. You say Charles Manson and people go, uh-huh. like, there's a stigma around him and around his name and reputation. Mm-hmm. But, like, are the facts actually the facts that you think they are? You know, you said cult, you said murder, you said driving around in the van killing people. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll go into it later on, but it's just... Nice to see your preconceived notions about it. Like, I, I, I read, yeah. like, Helter Skelter. Like, I, I've been, I was looking at the Charlie Manson since I was, like, a 17-year-old girl. I mean, since I was 17. <laughs> and, and uh, you know. It's just the way I'm into it. Feel. I'm into it. Like, it's, like, cool. I can safely say, you know, uh, if I had run into him in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco in 1967 and the motherfuckers rocking around with a guitar, I'd be like, come on, here, sing a song with me. Like, I'd definitely be mates with him. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd let him convince me to kill people, but... Do you know? You have wanted to have party with the guy and let that world a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The man was he's hooked up, you know. Yeah. So what do you think after researching him for a week, what do you think about him? Um the holes in the story and the outright obfuscation by an awful lot of people about an awful lot of things put huge question marks all over this for me. Yeah. Um, yes it was a free love time yes there was a lot of social interaction yes there was a lot of people uh, squatting and doing dives and hitchhiking across the country and leaping yeah couch surfing is early enough and leaping from group to group to group and there was the environment for something like this to happen now in my they were asking for it they were asking for trouble the climate of like Free love on the free love highway. The love is free and the highway is long. And yeah. we're taking drugs as well. Exactly. Yeah. Open your doors to your brothers and sisters and then have lots of weapons around and take lots of drugs. Yeah. yeah. And it was, you're Rough. right, there's a, there's a certain element of a, a horrific event type of murder was going to happen at some point. It was looming. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And if you're taking highly psychoactive drugs um, around strangers, then some of those strangers are going to be fucking crazy. And right. I'm very surprised more people weren't killed. So we're going to get your expert time. opinion on that particular subject <laughs> as the show goes on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of which you have many. expertise. Many. Yes, many. Um, well, I studied so, psychology for a year. Yeah. And so, um, no, you're taking drugs too, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, we see. Yeah. Hand in hand. Allegedly. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive, you know. I used to take drugs. I still do, but I used to too. <laughs> That's a Mitch Hedberg for you people. Enjoy. everybody. Yeah, so let's get right into it. Charlie Manson was born No Name Maddox. That's got to be a fucking hard start in life. Yeah. When your name is already No Name. Yeah. Well, I mean... Is it no name or is it? I thought it was Naname. Naname, <laughs> Japanese uh, some, flower. 
Ah, Naname. He's named after a beautiful Japanese player, which yes. is also hard to be named when you're Let's a boy. Let's put a cross on his forehead. <laughs> Little translation into English is crazy bastard. Yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna grow up to be something. Mm-hmm. He started off as no name, mm-hmm. and he was born to apparently a very young and not naive, but definitely maybe out of control young lady called Kathleen Maddox. We don't want to be racist. We never want to be racist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's a term uh, in America that it's trailer trash. Yeah. White, you know, white trash. White trash. White trash. Now, I don't know if it has racist undertones. I mean, like, one time a guy in Mexico called me a gringo. I accused him of being a racist. It ended badly. I don't know. I don't understand yeah. it. I don't think I ever have. I don't think we're allowed to because... I don't think we're allowed to. I don't think I was allowed to. But, no, um, I mean, like, white people. Oh, right. We're not allowed at all to... Oh, I'm not white. Be like, hey, racism. No, not you. Yeah, not me. Not you. But I don't, I don't see colour. But, uh... You think you think that saying white trash is too much for his man? No, I think it's just on the money. On the money. Yeah. So, I'm trying to this girl... Nice, um, this girl is pretty trouble. This girl, from what I understand, sold <clears throat> uh, him one time for a pitcher of beer. Yeah. Was offered a pitcher of beer for... That pretty baby! And By a waitress who couldn't have her own kids, and... Yeah. She said, yeah, I'll let you keep the baby if you give me a pitcher of beer. And then she used to hang around with her and her brother, so mm-hmm. Kathleen Maddox and her brother, mm-hmm. and the two of them would, you know, go out drinking and, you know, fussing and fighting and doing all that stuff. And uh, they left the baby in the restaurant one night, mm-hmm. left it with the waitress, and two or three days later, Charlie, no the name, brother. Maddox's mm-hmm. uncle, Kathleen's brother, went back and got him or yeah. whatever. Like, But I mean, sure, Jesus, you could get free beer all over town for that if you're willing to leave your baby with someone for two days. Absolutely. That was like baby rental more than abandonment. But like, so she did like reverse babysitting. She got paid to have people babysit for her. Yeah. I mean, is that not what like most of the social welfare is? Hmm. Like you're being paid to babysit your own children. True, I suppose. Do you know? Yeah, the early system. Maybe that's a very short time. So he's 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 born to some white trash. He's I'm guessing now who was who was accidentally impregnated by a Colonel Walker Scott. I see, as he was just traveling yeah, through. he was just roaming on through, and yeah. Kathleen was too too d- delectable to, to leave behind, and yeah. she had him very young, and because of that, her devoutly Christian parents were like, well, you're having a baby out of wedlock, um, you're kind of the devil's spawn, mm-hmm. get the fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she had to go roaming around the place, so she started roaming around Kentucky, where she was from, well, she was 16 years of age. Yeah, very she young. had Charlie. Very young. So she's knocking around as a child. Yeah. So even Pretty today, much. 16's kid. Yeah. Uh, back in the 50s, I can only imagine what that was. Yeah. Well, this is, in, this is in the 30s. Oh, this is in the 30s. Yeah, he was yeah. born in 1934. So, like, that's, like, big-time no-no to be going around doing this kind of crack. Like, I mean... With reason, like, I mean, there was, like, loads of jazz heads going around the place, and Kentucky was pretty wild anyway, like, in mm-hmm. the country. But, uh... She she basically hooked up with this guy called William Manson, who was 16 years her senior. And, you know, when you're a 16-year-old girl with a kid, and you have a guy that's willing to take care of you, yeah, sound. Wrote me in. I mean, Absolutely. And she gave little Charlie the name Manson after uh, William Manson. Because, Beautiful. you know, they were, they were being taken care of. Exactly. It's... It's hard to like pinpoint exactly what happened with Kathleen amongst all that time. Like she was, there was time when she was just roaming the Kentucky Hills. There was times when she was hitchhiking, like moving lover to lover, uh, mm. you know, wherever she could get, wherever someone would take care of. Yeah, her wherever she could get a dick, she get a bed. Yeah. and you know what I mean. That's that's kind of the life she was living with the baby in tow. And Charlie could say like, there's no real timeline that you can put on that time in his life. He can't remember a lot of it. 
Mm-hmm. She's not around to corroborate the story, and you know it's he's not documented anywhere. Yeah, it's pretty like, like there's no records around or what was happening. Yeah. So whatever Charlie decides to tell people in whatever flowery, yeah. dramatic way, in some prison interview that he wants to tell, like I mean, that's all we that's all we have to go he can on. Choose his favorite flashback and say yeah, that's the history exactly. But he used to tell Fair stories much. of how the fact like that she used to turn tricks and she used to be a prostitute, so she'd get men to come and take as her lover for money, and then when they were lying in bed, she'd train Charlie to. You know, take a few extra dollars out of his wallet, or maybe take a nice watch, or very clever, you know, a nice belt buckle, and uh, a little bit of grifting on the side. Yeah, yeah. that's what you need to do. She used to have to fight her way out of restaurants or out of uh, motels, and be like, "Charlie, get the bag, let's go!" And then like, Run Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, be like, "Mama, mama!" Running after his ma, who was oh, after oh. like bottling some lad, taking his money and refusing to suck his willy, yeah. and running off into the night time like. Don't forget the miniature shampoos. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to feel I mean? sympathy now. Yeah, but I mean, like, shit happens, like, too, you know. Little boy wearing, like, a, a motel shower cap as a nappy with two holes poked through it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, See through nappy. There's one, of, one of the stories, like, Charlie tells about his childhood is one of those, I saw, I was sold for a pitcher of beer. That's mm. one of his, like, ten poles of, yeah, of his childhood stories. Yeah. Like, that's been dragged over the coals a few times. Another one was when... He he likes to say, uh, my mama got done up for a strong arm robbery. Got put in jail for five years. And in those five years, it was really formative mm. for him. Do you know what I mean? He he ended up going into institutions and this really started his institutionalized life, yeah. which kind of framed his mind for the, the future. Like he was, he's fucked up, lads. Yeah, you know but I mean? this has started his introversion. This is where he started going into his own mind yeah. and finding that the more... Uh, imprisoned he was on the outside the more he felt his mind was freer on the inside yeah which is a very strange way to think I well think. this is uh, <coughs> for me part of Charlie Manson's certainly his later uh, justification or mindset or I don't think justification is the right word that we should use with Charlie Manson I think it's just like it is what it is yeah but like it, a lot of shit has happened like that to a lot of people and they haven't gone out and and killed people I don't mm-hmm. think that this before you keep going I'm sorry to interrupt yes. you but before you keep going my strong feelings are that this kind of stuff made him all the good things that he was. Yeah. Okay. Strengthened his character and made him the good things that he was. Like, to say that he was, like, manipulative psychologically and sexually to these young girls is one thing, but also to be able to give them comfort and make them feel the love that they felt Yes, is a good thing. Well, the, uh, the, And, I mean, for him, like, right up until people started dying... They all seem to be very happy in their life, like yeah. Uh, I, I suppose so this, this more is, formative this is than that. Uh, Charlie came up with uh, an anecdote about uh, his local uh, basketball court mm. and how, whenever he was a very young child, he'd go out there, and all of the other uh, kids around him would be called back into their houses by their mothers mm. um, as it was getting dark, whatever. And he'd be left sat out on the basketball court on his own because he had no mama to call him. And uh, then got arrested and sent to juvie for a while and came back out and to his old neighborhood and was sat on the same uh, basketball court. But this time there weren't anybody about because an awful lot of them had died in the war or moved away or gone to these corporate 1950s lifestyles of... Picket fences. Bored them, bored them and 2.4 kids and they married somebody they didn't really give a shit about and that was their life. And he was saying, that's a terrible life. 
but that was outside my reach. Mm. As no name Maddox being sold for a beer, that was always beyond me, and that had nothing but to he, do with me. But he he very I think like in in a martyrdom kind of fashion already painted himself with that from a very young age. He was like, that's who I am. He's resigned himself to the fact that I'm not, and I'm nothing but shit. Yeah. And the only respect that I will ever feel is the respect I have for myself, which gave him that massive self-confidence. Yeah. So it kind of, it kind of strengthened him. It steeled him into being who he was. And also we were, I was looking at pictures of him today compared to the heights of other people. I only realized that he's fucking five foot. Yeah. It was only you explained it. He's a man. He's only a little, I never noticed a little baba. You know? I saw a video of him being like marched into the courthouse. I was going, look at the size of those dudes. You're like, those, thinking, yeah, those, those guards security are guards massive. are massive. They must be so afraid of them, like escaping or something. Those security guards are massive. Yeah, but, but he's like tiny. tiny. He's just tiny. They were regular sized dudes with him. He's like the size of like an average sized woman. Yeah. Like tiny. So can you imagine how small he was when he was a kid? Yeah. Just like malnourished and underfed and. You know, staying up all night, like... And in the playing, streets, a, a perfect target to yeah, be picked on by Absolutely, everyone. like physical physical dim- diminutiveness. And if you're going into an institution that is taken care of, like wayward boys, obviously, like, there's... He went on about, in his interviews, about the, the massive amounts of, like, sexual and physical abuse that he received in all these institutions, which Ooh. definitely molded him in the, in the it doesn't in, help in the way of, of what people would say was evil and I don't I don't like that that they put like Charlie Manson is evil is he evil yeah I'm not, really I'm not pro Manson is. right but I'm like I'm not totally like fuck Charlie Manson like he's writing yeah. him off as you're a undecided Manson yeah hopefully I get off the fence by the end of the show but yeah. I mean like don't know man like yeah he's a fucked up dude but like who knows? You know, is it nature versus nurture? Was it? Is he the devil? Is he? Mm. You know, is he a demon possessed? No, he's. But just so far, it's a, it's a pretty a up guy that has not good uh, childhood. It's a pretty rough childhood. So well, far. one of the things that that definitely that definitely uh, made an impression on him from his childhood, and he says in some interviews, is the death of his uncle Jess. Mm. This so, is the one that, that reclaimed him after he saw. Yeah, this is his mad Seems brother. the only person that might have cared about him. That that went out of his way to help him. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, when Jess was gone, there was. There was no real hope for him, like, uh, as regards a father figure, which mm. he preyed upon and all of the girls that he used to, you know, take into his harem, they all had father issues and he used to fulfill that for them. But he knows what that's like, feeling empathy for them and he knows what to say to manipulate them because he himself had father issues of having no father, then having William Manson and having William Manson leave and then having his uncle Jesse, who was a, who was a huge father figure for him. Who died in an explosion from a moonshine still? Wow. Like his uncle Jess used to brew moonshine. It was a bootlegger. Yeah, and you know, probably drink, drinking it these drinking it himself. But like, yeah, um, the, can you imagine this? Like the cops are coming to raid the still. Uncle Jess, wild-eyed Kentucky man, like fucking crazy bastard, with his little sister and his little nephew running around like robbing places and leaving the child out for a pitcher of beer and you know like mad mm. shit's happening and then the that, that cops, gets you a train of trash yeah it does you get that moniker absolutely so the authorities are coming and he to take it away and he just blew it up and, and, and he blew up like some yeah and himself <laughs> yeah. and a couple of the other people in the in in, in the family too like like uh, he just like went yeah that's it no the fucking cops aren't getting this and it's all gone you know 
And that had a massive like, effect on him. still, quick, the police is coming. Well, so he said, took half the house How will I do it? He said, a lot of rag. And so it's one, one of the rags around his waist. Had he been sampling the product beforehand? I would think so, yeah. I would think so. Like the fumes alone, they get yeah. you up there. Plus there are quality control <laughs> sections that have to cover. So somebody would have had to been Was it triple stuff. filtered? Was <laughs> I only serve it in these bottles that had three X's on them. <laughs> but seriously, like, Manson saw that happening and it affected him deeply, mm. according to himself. Like, it affected him really deeply. And he doesn't really know where he comes from. He has no sense of home. He has no sense of belonging or family or community. Anything. And this would this would lend to the future, as we'll talk about later on, his future disassociation with reality, time, and yeah. responsibility. Like... Anything to do with being a modern human, Charlie Manson is willing to shed. So, like, the trappings of being getting a job and wearing clothes and, you know, having sex with one person and, you know, getting married and having kids and doing all that stuff. Like, even, like, wearing a watch. He wanted to get rid of all of those modern trappings. Like, when he was asked, where do you come from? The quote he, he, he kind of jovially throws out there is, I come from the heart of Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra. Like you're like, okay, that's a bit <laughs> weird. But like that's that's how he feels. He's like, yeah, cholesterol. Well, no, then he explains it. If the, this is the time I was growing up, yeah, he was raised in this. Like these are the people I was listening to. But it's just like the, the, the special place in my heart. Yeah, the kids in the seventies, they were their parents were at work and are taking recreational drugs, and they were left at home to be raised by the TV. They're like, who raised you? Well, you know, Sanford and Son, and do you know this kind of crack. Mm. Like I was raised by TV, like. Uh, the cable guy, you know, leaves you fucked up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Looking for your, looking for your mommy and your dad who you never knew, and then your uncle who was the only dad blew himself up in front of you, and you're like, okay, life is really hard, and I'm mm. only six. Like this is hard lessons, man. Yeah, you know. So after marrying a, a young girl called Rose, when he's very young, he, you know, he was a romantic, always a romantic, and he married this young girl called Rose, who was pregnant with his child. Mm. and basically he wanted to have a good life with her now at this point he was already in and out of institutions like he said his man got arrested for uh strong arm robbery as he quotes like strong arm robbery the way he says it always says the strong first so and she robbed like a very her and very her and the brother her and uncle arm. jess robbed a liquor store <laughs> okay. and got put in jail for five years jesus Oh, her and Uncle Jess. Yeah, the two of them oh. got put away, so he had no one to take care of him. Shit. So he had to go into these uh, these institutions for young young people, and he ended up then offending, escaping. He was like, I, know, I don't want to get like, buggered Being in the arse by these guys. Like, yeah. fuck this shit. I'm out of here. And he kept on breaking out and getting captured and put back in, and he's breaking the law. You know, he was criminal from a very young age. A hoodlum. Hoodlum, they were called back then. Yeah. A uh, hooligan. Where are the hooligans? And, uh, yeah, bopping around, doing some fucking illegal shit all the time. Mm. And stupid shit, like stupid things. Hijinxy stuff. No, like stupid crimes, man. He kept on getting caught for, uh, like... Was caught forging a cheque for $37. Well, back then I was a decent amount of money. What fucking the, Egypt? The 50s. Yeah. Yeah, it was still the 50s, man. What an Egypt, like... Yeah. But he was 16 when he did that. Like, who's cashing a check at 16? Yeah. yeah. I just kept on getting caught for, like, robbing cars and then driving them up straight through town and be like, oh, yeah. Like, is that your car? No. How'd you know? Because you haven't got a fucking hair in your arse, man. <laughs> You're a child driving a big, like, sedan. So he he, he, he marries this young guy called Rose, who's pregnant with his child, and he ends up stealing the car to drive him across the country and, uh, you know, gets caught stealing the fucking car, mm. you know? 
he 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 pulls up and uh, they're having a meal and then Rose ends up kind of hooking up with this truck driver and he en- she ends up leaving him and this is the fr- you know carrying his child there's yeah. a Charlie Manson Jr. out there somewhere right um, carrying his child and you know love his life she's he, it's like he's married up and he's like yeah okay my life's back on track you know I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make something of myself I'm gonna get this woman I'm gonna head this baby I'm gonna make a laugh and huh Huh? Oh, this bitch! Like, and she went off. And obviously, yeah. that was like, you know, a very formative experience. It was, you know, she mm-hmm. keep on trucking. Yeah, keep well. <laughs> yeah, change the T to an F, and <laughs> it's like frucking. Yeah. So he's he's only ever had two people his entire life that seemed to love him, and his they're all run away. Who went to prison and then died, and it blew himself up. Yeah, and then uh, the the girl. I'm guessing, like, guessing from the the run of things so far. Possibly the first girl he'd ever who'd ever shown him the time of day, who he then gets pregnant, marries. Yeah, and then as soon as she goes, oh, I rushed into this like a fool, like that song. What's that song again? Like, be careful here. And in fact, here's a chance. Look at this drunk old trucker. I'll go with him. Seems better option than this uh, moonshine boy. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're pregnant and your your husband is just after stealing the car to drive you across the country you're going yeah my future's not really secure mm-hmm. um, what am I going to do like, so what's happening he's in a bad place life's not gone well for, for Charlie so far yeah well I mean to be honest he was trying to pimp her out now okay yeah so okay. I'm saying it's not going to be like an exactly right I was, like I said I was starting to feel some sympathy there no, like, life's no. not been easy for him no, right now it's not she, like a Dawson's the Creek love of his life runs out on him it's not Dawson's Creek, like he's right, not. Right, right. It's not you know American Pie. So is this a case of is it, he went, where he's he went, lovingly making love to her on the docks and he's just like, I don't want to wait for a love to be alright. It's like no, suck a dick for some money. Don't you love me? Do you not love me? Isn't I'm trying to make I'm trying to make a future for us. I'm trying to make a future for us, Rose. And the car I stole is nearly out of petrol. I'm after stealing the car and we got to get across the country. And you're being here. Come on, Rose, get out there. Suck that dick. But here's the situation I imagine is that he's saying that to Rose. He's saying, come on now, mm. suck the dick. And she's like, what? And he's like, if you suck the dick, we'll get a lift from one of these truck drivers across the country. And she's going, oh, if I suck a dick, I we'll a both get a lift across the country. But what do I need you for? Yeah. What do you do in that scenario? And he's like, clean up? And she's like, well, I can do a clean up, homie. If I'm going to suck the dick, I'll do a clean up. That's yeah. not bother. That's not bother. I'll use that KFC wet wipe. Rose. Why, 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 why do you have the wet wipe? Rose was tenacious. That makes no sense at all. I yeah, hold so, the wet wipes, Rose. Yeah. It's my job. <laughs> so I need you to hold a goddamn wet wipe. This guy has a truck with a cab. Well, with, a, with a glow compartment. So she decides, I can suck dick by myself. I don't need him watching me to do it. And goes off and does that. Yeah, the way I told the story at the start, it makes him seem like, oh, poor old Charlie got left. Yeah. But no, he was pimping her out. Do you know? Yeah. In ste- like in stealing cars and doing crime. Like petty, shitty crimes around Stupid the place. Shit, you know? yeah. He ends up getting arrested in 1955, age 21. And he gets put down for a few years. Like he's... He's he's really... He has a history though. He's got yeah, a, a long history of He's really institutionalized. So. And, and, you know, like by the age of 30, he'd been in jail for more than half his life. And... In loads of his interviews, he says, yeah, my home is jail. Like, that's the only constant in his life is mm. prison food, three square meals. You know, you do your walk around the yard. The order of the, the, this is the Yeah, this is the way it is, you know. And you know what you're doing. Like, he grew up, imagine, like, he's five foot nothing, wisp of a young lad. And there's loads of sexual abuse and physical abuse going on inside these, you know, these places. One one story is, like, he he, like, he used to physically you know, assault boys in these places. 
by holding a blade to their neck and then like raping them up the arse. And he was only like five foot nothing on the thing. Do you know? Really? Yeah, like he was the one that was doing the rape and he mm. was the one that was like, I around. am fucking crazy. I am crazy, Charlie. Don't fuck with me. And it's like a defense mechanism to be like, you know, you're five foot four. You're probably not even that at like 16. Yeah. Skinny, little pigeon chested, like no physical strength. What are you going to do? If you fucking come near me with your dick, I'm going to pull it off like a paper towel in a public yeah. bathroom. Get the fuck away from but me. But like preemptive assaulting like, I'll bite your people, dick yeah, off. I'll assault you before you can assault yeah. me. Yeah. And he used to do that all the time and just like break out on people and just fuck them up and end up getting like like remanded again and again and again mm. and then when he was fed up and getting touched up and, and boxed and getting chic to him he'd just be like I'm out of here and he'd just vacate yeah. like he got put into boys town and it ended up like fucking his head up mm. and he was like I can't I can't deal with this like I gotta go tried to escape kept on getting caught escape caught escape caught like it's a cycle of his life you know so he gets caught and by 30 he spent like half over half his life in jail you know so it's 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 really odd, like that. He, like he was released on March twenty first, nineteen sixty seven, and the quote about his incarcerated life is: "He can't exist in the world outside, as his mind won't be free." Like mm. he's walking around thinking about going to jail. Do you know yeah. the, the 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 famous uh, remark when he was released from one of the prisons was, "Can I stay? Can I please stay?" That was he, Terminal Island. Prison. He begged to stay begged in Terminal stay. Island. Like begged to stay. Mm-hmm. Because he had, he got so, so used you to it, and he was from, there so long. Yeah, from from inmates is that the, you know the order of the institution, like I said, the hierarchy inside. They know where they stand. Yeah. You know what I mean, you fight for your bunk. Yeah, but that's what you, he was good at that. Because you too much. Yeah, so and he learned a lot in jail, and he learned how to how to manipulate people. And he learned how, to, how his mind worked. Yeah, but very, exactly, very interesting that even then, as such a young man and institutionalized all his life, he realized that that the, with the short amount of time he spent on the outside, not institutionalized. He realized that his mind is quieter when he's on the inside than when he's on the outside, where I guess it's open to the bombast of of freedom in the world and and trying to make the world. And anything can happen, and these people I don't understand how these people operate. Yeah, but in jail, like I mean, he was he was known to to control. Yeah, he was known to control others into fights. Like, say for example, someone done something to him that he'd be like, okay, and he'd go over and say like blah blah blah, and he done something, and you know, and he ended up. He'd end yeah. up getting that fella, getting the shit kicked out of him by some other guy and cajole people into fighting each other mm. and m- make it look like he was completely innocent. Like, it's fucking Manson practice mm. for the for the verb that we use now as Manson. Yeah. Do you know, that's a, that's but, a uh, verb now. Like, of, survival like, mechanism. For, for a little guy, a, a classic victim in a place yeah, like absolutely. that, that was his survival mechanism, was manipulation of people around him. And getting a clean slate and exemplary record himself, like not having mm. any of the crimes or any of the troubles... Ah. on him do you know what I mean only at a very young age did he, did he commit any of these rapes or whatever that he was doing himself to be like dominance mm. over people you know Um, eventually he realised I don't have to do that yeah. I don't have to be that harsh I can do this with psychology and with with talk mm-hmm. and he ended up you know learning how to be real smart when it came to people and manipulating them you know so I mean right. for, the, for, for the longest time that he was incarcerated mm-hmm. in, in any one period of time was in in his early twenties. So this is when he got caught, nineteen fifty five. He had stolen the car. He was you know doing some pimping. He was doing some petty crime, like fuck, stupid shit. Like yeah, like you know, rob a car, leave it out. He's too white to be doing cashing the checks. You know, like fuck, uh, stupid stealing silver cutlery. To yeah, pawn shop. Like, stupid, like stuff that you nearly want to be getting caught and put in jail for. Yeah, yeah. Like he was nearly going, look at me, look at me, I'm stealing shit. Like, come on, Charlie. Yeah, you know better than that, man. 
So he was put in uh, for seven years in Terminal Island. And this is kind of where he came up. This is his whole 20s he spent here. And, you know, Mm. he was a young man growing up with dreams. And he had like all these like personal, interpersonal skills, you know, Mm. that he wanted to exercise. And he ended up exercising it amongst murderers and gangsters and criminals, you know. So, I mean, that's going to have some kind of an effect on how you're going to come out when you come out. Mm. But damaged people, usually, like, again, statistics would show people, incarcerated people would have a higher percentage than the average populace for uh, childhood abuse and Mm. broken homes and situations like that. So, again, the people that he's learning this craft on of of mind manipulation are broken people. They're susceptible to that kind of manipulation. Exactly. And these are the people, then, that he'll be able to pick out and spot in the general populace and to, to target well, no, now, and apropos of nearly nothing, um, it's uh, you've already done the MK Ultra episode. However, there's parts of that that were uh, experimenting on prisoners mm-hmm. and uh, specifically drug addicted, drug addicted prisoners and people with uh, broken homes and broken backgrounds. MK Ultra, well, just for any listeners who don't know, it's a CIA program. We did an episode on this. Check it out. Listen to it. It's good. It's just really though. It's a CIA program uh, that's completely confirmed, hundred percent on the books. Uh, it was to do with LSD uh, and uh, mind control techniques that were applied to the general populace, say operatives, um, inmates in, in prisons, people in psychiatric wards, uh, pretty much anyone they could get their hands on. They wanted to try and uh, shatter their minds, fracture their psyches, implant them with ideas and memories and commands and orders and uh, dope them up to the eyeballs and also a mix of drugs and incredibly horrific kinds of things yeah. and they are well, and, also, and that's just the stuff that was on the book that's the confirmed that stuff that wasn't the burned that wasn't in 77 also a lot of the actual proven techniques that the, the doctors I suppose you would call them or lab technicians uh, came up with are strikingly similar mm-hmm. to what Manson's techniques would be uh, later in the family so do you think that maybe they were doing this on him in prison and he was just mimicking or echoing those things when he got out. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. That that's where he learned it was come, people coming in and doing that to him. I would find it slightly surprising from the, the Manson background that we've got already that this petty crook would, during his time in Terminal Island Prison, uh, develop an interest in Scientology and things like that. Yeah. And this mind control thing. techniques. Like, like he, he studied hypnosis. He studied... The, the science of the persuasiveness of Scientology. Like, he studied psychology. He he took an interest in manipulating people mm. on a, like, a, a pro-am level. Like, you know what I mean? He was yeah. well-practiced and well-versed. And at the end of his seven years in Terminal Island Prison, begs the warden to allow him to stay. Because he, he's comfortable there. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he has his life cushy, like, fucking balls to the wall, happy out, like... I'm making this lad do this and this guy gets me this and no one fucks me in the ass and I'm happy out like. Mm. And now he has to go out into the world and be like, oh shit, I have to start again. I don't know any of the rules. And he's nearly 30 gone. Yeah. It's an open jungle. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that sort of pushes me in that conspiracy-ish direction is nearly the moment of his release, he starts collecting females for this harem that he's will eventually become the Manson family. Mm. How does he do that? Uh, Meets one, convinces her. She meets the next one, convinces her. I can't remember the names now. Yeah. But it's literally on his release. Within two weeks, he has two of the first uh, Manson family members. Not hugely surprising, though. I mean, like, as we said, this is through his 20s, his Vidal years, and perhaps his, well, it was his longest stint uh, consecutively incarcerated. Yeah. 
So, unsurprisingly, you'll find that most gentlemen in their mid-twenties when they come out of prison after having their longest ever stint of incarceration would start chasing the tail pretty hard. Yeah. yeah. But like he, didn't ha- he didn't have it, like, any time, you know... Mm. Well, remember the girl that he knocked up and got pregnant and Rose, yeah. fucked off with a trucker? It was Yeah, it was a, already a bad experience. I don't think he was well, into it, it for love to fall uh, in love like a... I don't think he in, had in, her in under any kind of control. Like well, he was pimping stage. her out, though, dude. He must have had some kind of psychological effect on her or some kind of... Okay. You know, mm-hmm. she was having sex with other people for money for him, for them. And that happens with, like, you know, drug-addicted couples or whatever. They need it and, you know, if it's there to be capitalized upon and and you know the girl is susceptible enough to be convinced i couldn't see why it wouldn't yeah point taken, wouldn't have point like taken. he's done he will do it in the future and he had done it in the past before he was like a notorious pimp but i mean he must have had like some kind of charm or some kind of panache or shazam to be able to convince girl to do that like you know what I mean? yeah hmm. i suppose mainly it's the, the 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 reports of the family and uh the, the play acting and stuff whenever that we get to the ranch yeah. and it sort of kicks into high gear are very uh specifically oriented they're very set up almost like they're read out of a textbook yeah um all the stuff about the play acting and you, you sit in your chair and you become this different person and now like you have to react. therapy like you know, yeah. yeah um which I guess he could have read in prison. Um, I guess he could have studied up on it. In his See, own, he de- I think he definitely tried to figure out how to get along without getting like fucked up the butt. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's like, okay, just the way, the same way that like, if you watch that Patton Oswalt bit about Sky Cake, if you've ever seen that, where he's like, how do the intelligent guys of old stop the biggest, roughest guy in the village from like, I'm having rape for dinner. Yeah. You know, uh, they invent some kind of promise in the afterlife that if you don't kick the shit out of all of us and take all our women and then kill us, that you go to this place where you get whatever you want when you die. And, mm. you know, this is an intelligent guy. you can eat. Yeah, this is an intelligent guy who's able to manipulate people into getting what they want or p- perceived to get what they want. And mm. then they're like, yeah, I'll do anything you want then. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He, he He's amassing a group of people that eventually will satisfy his every need and mm. do anything he says. You know, do anything yeah. he says. But also far, so far, all incredibly selfish, all incredibly self-serving. Well, preserva- self-preservation yeah. as well. Like, yeah. But everything, not just, yeah, not just for the preservation though, for the pleasure of Charlie. So far as everything. As well, yeah. I mean, mm. the thing... The it thing pleases is, him to go back to prison. He goes back to prison. It pleases him to get out of here. Yeah. And, and he goes back to prison. He's like, Grant, home now. Yeah. All right, see you later. I had a little time and I'm world famous for the three years that or five years that I was out. Huh. Like, I'm infamous forever. Like, people forget, like, Jimi Hendrix was only famous for like three years before he died. Mm-hmm. And we still talk about him today. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Quite the legacy. Yeah. Like, to put Charlie Mass and Jimi Hendrix on the same scale is a bit... Disrespectful yeah. to to Jimmy in celebrity, but like say, yeah. a cult in a cult of celebrity situation and in a different world where some decisions were made. We're going to talk about Charlie's musical career later on, but some decisions were made that possibly could have dragged him in the wrong path. But like he definitely had the opportunities to make some kind of a life for himself, mm-hmm. but because of his stubbornness or whatever, he didn't end yeah, up going through it with it. Him. But I think that his his time in jail for like solidified his mind into a certain t- thought process. Like he always says, his biggest message to young girls that idolized him was don't lie. And he learned in jail not to lie. Because if you lie in jail, you get either cut, face cut or you get killed. You know, you stay out of people's business. You mind your own business. You do your number. 
Do your number and do your time. Do your number, do your time. That's his message. And then you learn to stand on your own. His lady followers. That's it. Yeah. Don't lie. Don't tell any lies. Because if you're lying, you're dying. Uh-huh. Do you know? Well, he um, seems to have longer Yeah, but he says he was really, really honest with them and, mm-hmm. like, honest to a fault where they would be like, oh, my God, you can see into my soul. Like, and he's like, yeah. But, I mean, it's part of the manipulation thing. He's, like, telling them not to lie and then he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. But it's this dog- dogma and this doctrine that we see in, like, you know, political organizations and we get in, like, you know, even, like, organized religion. It's do as I say and not as I do. Mm-hmm. So Charlie will indoctrinate these people knowing how indoctrination works and then he will you know skirt the borders of the rules of what he's at to be able to get what he wants and it's all about him it's all about him all the time you know yeah um he says to the, the, the public from jail all your children would come to me because they ain't ne- never had anyone tell them the truth he sees himself he's as like a- you're lying to them all you're lying with the media you're lying with the news you're lying with music you're lying with your clothes. Like, you lie all the time, you yeah. know? But I'm telling them the truth. I'm telling them what's actually going on. I'm telling them politically, religiously, psychologically, and sexually, this is what real life is. But little did they know that that's not what real life is, but they're only kids, so they didn't know any difference. But yeah, it was a polar opposite to what they grew up on, which was like, why pick offences and, you know, be good and don't be watching Elvis because he shakes his mickey around. He was the Marilyn Manson of his time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Why do you think Marilyn Manson chose Manson, I suppose? Indeed. Why did Tesla choose Tesla? Yeah. That's what it is. So um, his his philosophies, I think, in these interviews are are admirable and they come from maybe a place of, you know, great reflection where he can say stuff like uh, I, I don't know what they see in me they said I was God and God was in my voice and as long as they've seen a nice guy I'll be a nice guy I reflect a nice guy to them like that's such a quote like of whatever you want me to be I would be that thing yes like that's so it's almost like a, a, a peaceful admission of manipulation like he's like yeah. whatever they want me to be I'm going to be that thing they saw God in me so I just let them see God in me yeah but he didn't tell them that it wasn't there. Exactly. I kind of encouraged them maybe a little bit by doing up these mock crucifixions yeah. or whatever, but like still really weird upbringing, a really weird psychology to bring into a group mentality where he is saying, tell the truth, everybody, hmm. but where he himself then can lie as much as he likes, you know? Um, He was very stubborn and he really didn't care for material things. And one of the greatest quotes from his interviews, I think is all, all your whole life is put around your paycheck. You couldn't give me all the money in the world to do something I didn't want to do. Yeah. I think anybody who's listening to that will appreciate that's That's quite a good Charlie, Charlie Manson impression. Yeah, that is a good Charlie Manson impression. Yeah, really but uh, I agree with him wholeheartedly on that point, but that's because it's an easy point to agree with. Yeah, it is. And yeah. all of his stuff is really easy to agree with. And that's yeah. the whole point of Charlie Manson is that he's throwing out stuff. Like when we were all like young, you know, 19, 20, and we're all smoking weed. I don't yes. know if, if dear listener was smoking weed at that time, but I guarantee you that you had that, you know, that uh, that weed conversation where you're like, hey, man, do you know the way you see the color green on the grass? How do you know that that green you see is the same as the green that I see? Then maybe my grass is blue and your grass is green, but we just call it green because when we were babies, we're told an apple is green. But when I was a baby, I seen a blue apple and just learned that blue was green. And you seen a green one and learned what green was green. But you and me seen a different color, man. How do you know it's not a different color now? 
and everyone just goes, Oh, my mind is blown, man. It's fucking amazing. And you're like, yeah, that's fucking weed smoking 101. They're the first five thoughts yeah, yeah. that come into your head when you start smoking joints. Yeah. Because it opens up a part of your head that's inquisitive, that's mm-hmm. like self-regulatory and self-reflective. You know, you're, that's you're, happened in any, every generation, right back to the guy that first came across a marijuana bush that was burning. Like, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. This is deadly. Is that bush green or blue? I don't know what colors are. Like, you know, yeah. But then immediately but, step outside of himself and understood his own sentience. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm a man who yeah. has put clothes on myself to cover my genitals for no reason. Mm-hmm. Well, you're getting scraped up by by mar- burning marijuana bushes. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Charlie. Charlie was like when he brings out his guitar. He seems like the guy at the party who who brings out the guitar when everyone else is dancing to some good music on the speakers, and everyone has to quiet down. And because he's so charismatic and enigmatic, and he's so like weird, and he says something funny, or he tells a funny story in between each song, and then sings the song. People listen to him. Mm-hmm. They don't like go. Oh, we were doing some other stuff. It's all like, oh, cool. Charlie's going to do the thing, and it eventually turns into. He's not bringing out the guitar, and they're going, "Oh, will you bring the guitar out? Will you, will you come on? Will you come and play the song for us? Will you please?" And they're begging him to interrupt them. That's that's what it turns into. He gives them a taste, they kind of like it, then he takes it away, and they want it even more. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a typical trick displayed with like teenage girls that are coming from a, a background very like his own. No father, yeah, you no know, broken home, strange, <laughs> strange kind of sexual backgrounds and you know like really not like unsavory you know sexual awakenings and stuff yeah. like that where they were either like abused or maybe like pimped out or there were but some sort of like a, a distorted view of sexuality yeah and coming from early over yeah but between sex and love or lack of sex and and Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or even having like heavily religious Puritan parents, yeah, Puritan parents, hang ups on that, and they backlash against well, it. By and in fact, slitty. in my mind, that's uh, certainly a nail in Manson's coffin of uh, this. These group of people who eventually became his family were deeply troubled. All the deeply last. troubled, yeah. Absolutely. And if you're meeting fifty people at a party and you're going back with the one really, really troubled one, you're not doing that by accident. Yeah. That's that's a, that's no, a hunting think, technique. I think, as we said, when he's in prison, these people would be the easiest to manipulate, and then the easiest ones when he's in the general populace to to find are the ones that are like him. Yeah, They'll be the they will gravitate to towards each other exactly because but he'll the thing know is, exactly is, is what that him? The signs, and is he'll that, know how to to talk to that and comfort that. But is that him, or is he is he fully able to handle what he is? Mm-hmm. But he's able to recognize that that potential weakness in another person. Mm. So he's after having all those bad things happen to him, but he didn't really let it affect him really. Yes. That he then is able to identify that in someone else and go, you've been through the same thing as me. And he's able to use the strength that he's had to get over. And maybe he's had enough time. It affected him, but he's had enough time to like recover psychologically or whatever. And he was able to go and pick somebody out and go, I'm the same as you are. And then they feel that empathy and they were able to, you know, make a rapport and he's able to manipulate them into doing stuff. Do you think that's it? That he actually had a stronger mind to be able to recover from those yeah, or, or, he, or he did the, the classic thing of just locked it away and, and, and never released it until, you know, he started taking loads of mind-bending drugs and they all just came flooding in and it drove him paranoid and... and a bit mental. And a bit mental. Yeah. And insane and violent where he, he might not have been before. Well, to be honest, I think his potential knew no bounds and whatever he, he wanted to 
turn his hand to it, he definitely wouldn't have been able to succeed at it mm. if it wasn't for his own like personal foibles and self-destructive nature. Like one of the crazy things that I found that I didn't know about Charlie Manson, like we're we're giving you this background now to show you where he got his practice of manipulation of people. So when we say later on that he had like 15 girls who he all had sex with and he had like four dudes in his family that he would share out and everybody would have sex with everybody else. And it's kind of like an orgy kind of a harem Swedish family kind of group sex kind of scenario going on all the time on a, on a ranch that used to be a wild West movie set. Mm. Like it sounds mental. It sounds it like sounds mental, but but this is the background. This is the background of the man's mind who who had the imagination to come up with living a life like that. Yes. And going out into the 60s, that's nearly over. He's coming in at the last song of the night, like. Yeah, he's a, bit, he's a little late to the party. If he wants to be part of the, the groundswell of the movement, he's a bit late for it. He's coming as the well, movement turns dark, as the heavy drugs start settling into yeah, it. Yeah, the, 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 the mushrooms, the, the mushrooms and the smiley faces and the flowers and the end of the gun barrels are being exchanged for, like, amphetamines and real gun barrels Ooh. being pointed at the end of gun barrels and people getting... And biker gangs getting a bit shirty, like, for... Drug dealers capitalizing on, a, yeah. on an ever-growing populace of teenagers consuming drugs and a disaffected youth and a country on the brink of, uh, I don't know, insurrection mm. and and lack of faith in the government and the Vietnam War. Yeah, and FBI and the CIA out of control, like yeah. properly out of control. Martial law almost implemented and the National Guard being deployed to peaceful protests at college and killing students like college life and people between their like 18 to 30 are really rising up and raging against the system like mm-hmm. to try and affect change in a very real way and to be honest if they weren't all so fucked up on drugs they might have been able to do something about it like you know the 60s was pretty heavy like when it comes to music but also when it comes to politics and you know the the Tricky Dick. Oh, yeah, man. Tricky Dicky Nixon and, uh, you know, like the, the Black Panthers and these kind of organizations were really making headway by the time Charlie Manson got out of jail in 1967. So he's out in 67, the summer of love, and he's just spent the last, like, say, 10 years of his life in jail, getting, like, like you know. Either raping or getting raped. Yeah, like mm-hmm. being really manipulative in a very caustic atmosphere, in a very aggressive and, and horrible lifestyle and he rolls out onto hate ashbury in san francisco he goes like where's the party at i want to go have a good time i've been locked up for years go to hate ashbury charlie be sure to wear a flower in your hair and he ends up going and so he gets out of prison hops on a bus to san francisco yeah and he's and he's you know just thinks get straight into the middle of the movement straight bang into the middle of this hippie movement it's been swirling going for years and years and years yeah he thinks just feeds straight into it absolutely and is this a case of you know when you get to like uh, a party or something like that going away party birthday party you get you get to the pub and you're there like four or five hours after everyone else and they've all had a few drinks and they're all kind of on, well on the way and you think oh I better catch up so you just start lashing down <laughs> drinks one after the other straight to kill yeah you end up getting destroyed is that the case you think did Charlie show up in San Francisco a little late for the party and just went I'm gonna do everything ten times crazier than the rest of you because he was he was late and he thought I better go over the top. I don't think I don't think it was just that reason. I think it was his natural inclination to go over the top, just like when he was young 
in the boy's home. Was they excess going, everything. If you try to fuck me in the ass, I will flay your Mickey open and I'll stick you to the fucking wall. Like, I am crazy, Charlie. Don't yeah. fucking touch me. Like, well, I think also, that's uh, what he did, but he came out and he went, I am crazy, Charlie. I'm going to have the best crack of everybody here. He's playing guitar and he, you know, one of the things he learned in jail was how to play guitar properly. And he learned from a mobster called Creepy Carpus, who was like playing like 1930s blues and jazz and stuff like that. And he learned how to play like folk songs and, you know, he really loved his music. And he used to spend a lot of time in jail playing his music on his own, like fully content and happy in his own company, just playing and singing. But if anyone would come and listen to it, he'd love that too. And this guy was fucking made to be walking the streets of San Francisco with a guitar in his back, fucking dreams in his eyes, acid up to the eyeballs, and, you know, looking for a good time. So he'd come out and he'd sing all these songs. People were like, oh, man, you're so cool. He'd write loads of songs. He was like a massively aspiring musician, mm-hmm. which spurred on his, you know, love of this whole scene and the fact that, you know, somebody like Jim Morrison could come along and be as fucked up as he would be and become world famous. And Charlie Manson, I think, had his eyes on the prize to become... To become a famous musician, yeah, you know, someone just needs to hear my ideas, and they'll they'll understand. And then they everyone will love me, yeah. Which I think was a common theme throughout his life that he needed to be loved, yeah, yeah. Because he either got didn't get hugged enough, or he got hugged too much. I think is Charlie's problem. So I mean, he's rocking into like pff, the summer of love, nineteen sixty-seven. Not a pot to piss in, mm-hmm. and no idea where he's going to go. And like you said, he ends up meeting some of these girls, getting into this scene. He's only a few weeks in and he already has like a couple of girls in tow. So first of all, he meets Mother Mary. Mm. So it's Mary Brunner. Yes. And we should say that all the family members had nicknames. Yeah. Everyone got nicknames. So when we're saying some funny names here, these are the nicknames of these these Manson family members, not generally their given names. to, To go with the fact that Charlie naming didn't go particularly to plan. Yeah, he didn't he really born. remember remember many names either. Like he wasn't yeah. re- names. I don't think were a thing that he really. But the put names in his it, through his family, yeah, were just kind of thrown yeah. around. He was not named. Yeah, so yeah. the well, idea also, that he give nicknames to these people, if you give somebody a, a nickname, mm-hmm. it, it removes them from their real personality. Yeah, true. From their name, from the name their parents, their birth parents gave but them. But all yeah. of these kids that were in the the family mm-hmm. all had aliases that were yeah. very different and and apart and separate from from their own. Christian names. Yes. Like some of them were like, they weren't just like, hey, Chubby, or hey, you know, Tex. It was a full name, three-barreled name. It was all like... It was, or some of them had many, many, many nicknames. Yeah, many again, ones. As if to, to split their, their psyche as, as many times as possible, to give them as many different... Personalities. Yeah, personalities and aspects to themselves as possible. So do you think that this, this kind of, well, as we talked in MK Ultra, what they do in kind of like a DID or a disassociative identity disorder manipulation technique is to sexually assault or like psychologically bombard a young child who's impressionable with a traumatic event so it's a trauma-induced hypnosis or a trauma-induced DID um, that he was taking these kids and giving them a shitload of drugs making them have a trauma and then like implanting his suggestions in them. But then when you say trauma, it can actually be as simple as, uh, you really, really want me to play my guitar? No, fuck you. 
Yeah. If you're if the 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 uh, harem that you had and even the guys as well were desperately looking for that connection from this uh, yeah. guru father yes. figure, even something as slight as that, if it's repeated, yeah, if the reverence he garners for them is strong enough, then whenever we're would... talking traumas, we're not talking car crashes. Yeah, you can be talking just d- d- being mean, cruel, yeah, yeah, uh, cool. distant, um, controlling. Because like, some of these people thought of him as Jesus, you know, as a, a Jesus-like figure. So. You can imagine, like, the apostles there with Jesus, like, being around him all the time. It, it, it just even a glance or something could be cutting to the core. Could break their hearts, I'm sure. So so yeah. enamored were they with the man. And probably the same situation here. So, as you say, so wrapped up in, in this guru father figure they have. In love with them, I Yeah, suppose. that it probably didn't take a huge amount of work to keep keep it going, you know, to maintain the control on the people. Yeah. A look here, a word there, a passive-aggressive comment here would probably last for weeks. Yeah, in, in but they'd want to have already got like a, a really high reputation of love with him already. Yes. Like they would want to be like really, 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 really close to him already or else. Yeah, or feel that connection with him. Yeah. That but maybe he's, he's just one of those people that's very good at making other people feel they have a connection with him too. Yeah. But that's the thing. He's, he's roaming around too. in 1967. Everyone's on acid. They're super hypersensitive. Yeah. And he's coming over and he's able to like see into their soul let's say and they're a little like, kind of free love and peace and yeah. they're thinking like hey let's all make ourselves open to each other as long as nobody's like manipulative and and and, and evil then we'll be fine and, and then Charlie comes in and goes hey I, I'm not manipulative or evil I play guitar you want to hear my songs and they're like oh I like him he sounds nice yeah but he's coming into these people like uh, uh, Mother Mary Brunner who kind of came from like a really normal mm monotony of suburbia you know mm-hmm. she wasn't like like super like molested or like came from a broken home or whatever yeah. just he met her she went to college in California yeah Manson, Manson slept on a couch a few nights and he ended up seducing her and then you know Manson got in Got he, he, he was hitchhiking around San Francisco he was hitchhiking around California and he ended up getting into a car with this priest and his priest gave him a, a present of a piano and he swapped the piano for this uh, uh, Volkswagen van. So he's driving around like, like that hippie VW van that we yeah, all... Yeah, the classic kind of the VW classic, yeah. The mystery machine. The mystery machine. Right yeah. Exactly. So, like, Charlie Manson's going around in one of these VW vans and he ends up meeting this girl, like Mary Brunner, and, he, you know, sleeps on a couch a few nights and ends up sleeping with her and then she's like oh fuck I love you like and he's like right let's go and it's you and Jump me and we're all in the van and let's, 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 let's hit this highway and he did the same with, with Squeaky From she she was you know f- um, she was intrigued by his mind she said that uh, she left her life and had sex with him immediately and declared her love to him immediately and she just totally gave herself over to him but in one of her interviews she says like I was sitting by the side of the road and I just uh, left my parents' home, and he came over to me, and he said, uh, "You know, hey, you got somewhere to go? You want to come with me?" And she hesitated for a minute. He goes, "Hey, it's your choice. You can come if you not, if you want or, or don't." And he just gets into the van, he drives off, and he's only halfway down the block, and she's picked up all her stuff. She's out in the middle of the road, running after. And I guarantee you, he's pulling away, looking in the fucking rearview mirror like real slow the whole time. Oh, going, yeah, get up, get up, get up off the yeah, get, get up, yeah. Here she goes, here she goes, and he ended up getting her. And, and mine and sinker, she's I still, I don't even know to today, but definitely to all the documentaries that I watched, is still a massive supporter of him. Do you know what I mean? Like she can, you can still see her eyes lighting up when she's talking about him. Somebody mentions Charlie's. Well, tell us about Charlie in, in, on the ranch. And they, they all, all the family lived on this ranch, you know, Span Ranch. Like, tell us about Charlie on the ranch. 
and her eyes fucking light up. She's like, well, I remember, blah, blah, blah. And like, you're like, Jesus. Yeah. Even after everything, you're still on his side like you know funny enough uh, what do you mean if you were there she's a fascinating woman fascinating fascinating, fascinating. like she ended up going out with Bill Siddons who, who went on to manage the doors mm. so like this whole California scene everybody very close, very was tight. so tight like yeah. everyone was into everything and we're going to talk about something that I found out while researching this that I had never known really about Charlie Manson that it was such a big part of his life and other people's lives um but yeah, they were really plugged into the music scene. And Squeaky um, is definitely... Squeaky reminds me of uh, the old black and white uh, Beatles concerts where they had a thousand screaming 14, 15-year-old yeah. girls screaming. Jizzing themselves. Um, ridiculously, almost out of their minds. And she seems like that a couple of years later, she changed her clothes and decided to become a hippie. Well, you know um, what it is, though? You see, I'm sure she had posters on her wall all over her wall. That yeah, well, a bit of her wall Charlie left. was a big fan of the Beatles. Mm. Big fan of the Beatles and a big fan of the, the Moody Blues. And mm. when, they were, when they were all living on the ranch... That was all he allowed them to play. They wouldn't play anything other than the Beatles. Or his music. Mm. So it was very kind of like harkening back to the times when you were in your mid to early teens. Like early to mid teens. And you were playing the Beatles. And you were, you know, rocking out your room. And trying to keep them in a, like a perpetual childlike mindset. Yeah, but he would also throw some Moody Blues in there though, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to take it right back out of there. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with Squeaky from... But no Bing Crosby. No, 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 Frank no, no, no. That was Just where, he was. That's where yeah, he's from. Really, yeah. But the thing about Squeaky from is that he saw in her like damage. He's like, mm. this bitch is damaged, mm. like big time. And there was like reports of her being in work, and she would self harm. She cut herself. There was one day there was people in work that were watching her, and she just like got the stapler and went pff, 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 and just stapled all the way up her whole arm, like. She was fucked up in the head. Mm. She was like already on but again, a self-destructive no path. No, no, no horrific sort of childhood. No history of abuse or anything like that. Just no. She just started had a rebellious teenage years. Yeah, started taking drugs and just wasn't into turfed it. Turfed out by the religious yeah, parents. I mean, they, they they put her out and she ended up getting into the van with with Mother Mary Brunner. And, there you go. Uh, it was even Squeaky who recruited Atkins, Susan Atkins, who ended up joining the family. Oh, uh, so each begets the next. Yeah, kind of. And the more they had, the more they got. And he got like the most beautiful women and they were like the road front women who he put out the front and kind of enticed the, the girls in the go well. And there's like beautiful girls in there and hmm. the guys would be over like, hey, Charlie, what do you want me to do? Like, you know, and he'd yeah. give away the girls. And he was kind of a fucking pimp, like. Yeah. Basically, with a load of women around him that he was and he'd, he'd selling hired, their sex for services. Yeah, for hiring in muscle then yeah, to, his, to his growing group. Well, trading on their love. Quite literally yeah. trading yes. literally yeah. on their love. But it was so weird, though, like that that he was able to get plugged into this California scene, right? And one thing I found out when I was researching this is how close he was to becoming a fucking worldwide star. Yeah. Like, you don't even know, understand how close he was. He ended up meeting... Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys mm -hmm. and Dennis Wilson took a shine to Charlie's lifestyle his kind of free love and uh, the harem of women that he kept around and this is after coming up from the 50s and all through the whole 60s like it was a it was a tumultuous time for the Beach Boys with like alcoholism and drugs playing a big part in their upcoming and they had like you know 
a lot of albums there, a lot of success, loads of gigs, and they were coming up parallel to the kind of success of the Beatles. So it's a big stressful time for them. And I suppose Dennis Wilson, who was one of the one of the three Wilson brothers who, who were founders of the band, he was like, you know, I'm looking for just a bit of strange. Like I'm looking for some weird mm. shit. I like I like the odd, I like the strange. Of course. And I saw Charlie Manson and went, Yeah, fucking Charlie Manson has it going on. Let's go, let's let's get Charlie over to hang out. And Charlie Manson and the whole family like 12 people, they'll all just rock over to Dennis Wilson's house and start hanging out and partying and taking drugs and do whatever. Uh, that that was over a weekend, was it? That was it was over a longer period than that, yeah. Months. Yeah. Months and months. No, a long time, yeah. So, uh, Wilson... Sucked him right in. And it was like... Part, like Wilson was, was a gee hair away from leaving the, be- the Beach Boys, leaving mm. his life behind and just going on the road Jacking with Manson. In, yeah. Jacking it in and going on the road. He, kind of, he, he picks up Krenwinkle and Ella Jo Bailey as hitchhikers, two of the Manson family members, and kind of gets seduced by them they introduce him to Charlie and he's equally seduced by, by Charlie yeah and his lifestyle and they all move into his house yeah and they like they used to sit around taking drugs sit by the pool and you mm. know talk about politics and Dennis shared everything he had yeah he lived in 14400 Sunset Boulevard yeah Nice, very nice address. Uh, had a studio, everything in the in the house. Had a, instruments, and everything set up, and he just invited them round to hang out. And you know, Mikasa, Isukasa, uh, pool out the back, whatever it was, Cabana House. They they just live out and hang out. And this was see, he was always looking for somewhere to couch the commune. Yeah, to stop up and the, the van the, and the further let he got, the more people he had. So exactly, yeah. Odd, the, like, you know. the van, this little VW van's getting very really heavy. <laughs> Suspension can't take it. So we were also at Dennis Wilson's house, and they kind of just roll in and they not take leave. over. Let's, but yeah, decided they're going to stay there forever. And Dennis and seems to love it. Dennis loved happy it, with it, man. He was going to leave the fucking beach party. Yeah. It's like a multi-million-dollar selling van, like to go and hang out in small pot and fuck bitches with Charlie Manson. Like that's a serious yeah, that's a love. Yeah, that's yeah. a serious like. Yeah. You know, a, a hold that Manson can have on people, even someone who's like successful, but obviously still yearning and searching for something in his soul, that he's willing to leave everything behind and just fuck off with these guys. Yeah. So, you know, that's bananas, the kind of power that he has there. Mm. Like, he ended up recording some songs, right, uh, in, in their studio, but what happened, like, these songs have had been produced correctly, or if Charlie had been, had been, you know, susceptible to being produced as an artist. Mm. Like, he could have been famous. Yeah. He could have been the famous musician that he deigned to be when he rolled into Hay and Ashbury in 67. He just wasn't able to take correction. It was either his way or fuck off. And I'm watching all these, de- like, Dennis Wilson uh, interviews and stuff about Charlie Manson. He doesn't really like talking about it. Well, he he's dead now, obviously, but, like, he doesn't, he didn't really like talking about it, so he didn't talk mm-hmm. about it too much. But one or two of the interviews, he's like, Charlie's sitting in the, in the studio and he's sitting, he's recording the guitar and he's recording the vocals and we're like... Maybe Charlie, we can change that a little bit. And whether no, it's my song. It's my song. I wrote it. I'm singing it the way I'm singing it. You can record it if you like, or fuck you if you don't. That was it. It's Charlie's way or the highway, you know. Mm. And it wasn't able to be produced, which means it wasn't able to be recorded properly, which means it definitely wouldn't be released, and it wasn't going to be released on Brother Records, which is the the, the Beach Boys label. Mm. Do you know? But D- Dennis did introduce Manson to producer Terry Melcher, who's mm. the son of the actress Doris Day, and he he is like these are all big names, they're so huge, all connected, it's huge, huge like Hollywood and California heads, like huge, mm. and he's totally plugged in, right? So Manson, and it looks like it's going well for him. So yeah, he's he's out made of nowhere. Out, he, he leaves he leaves prison with a guitar in his back, having learned a few chords, 
and thinks, oh well, I have like thirty five dollars in his pocket. Become proficient, written a few songs in his bounces in San Francisco. Yeah, bounces San Francisco. And within a short period of time, he's now hanging out with a Beach Boy, living in his house, recording songs. And the Beach Boy's like, "Meet my super famous producer mate. Uh, we I can't get you on my my family's record label, but maybe he'll put you on his record." Yeah, label. we put you on something else. And and Melcher meets what him. Melcher wants to do is make a whole movie about their about the Manson family, about their lifestyle, right. and he wants to use Charlie's music as the theme song to start the like a cultural phenomenon. So Melcher wants to. Like basically get like document this yeah. family phenomenon, but also that he wants Manson to get rich them. off them as well. I think. Well, yeah, he sees the the appeal of Charlie, and he sees like, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy is uh, like a massively entertaining and attractive yeah. personality. And I think he's, he's seeing the commune and this this new idea, this new movement of society or culture of how to live. He's seeing this as like. You know, like a, a Beatlemania, a monkeys yeah. kind of movement. It's the next level. It's the and next thing. It's the next cultural connection. Has massive charisma if he has yeah. seventeen people following him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. he's seeing the next cultural connection. It goes, it goes past like fashion and and music and art and everything. It goes to your literally your day to day way of life. Your everything. Throw it in and start this new way of life. Yeah, and he sees that as a movement. He, he sees that as something you can tap into, and something if he's the first to get a documentary out about it, and this is the next big cultural. He could movement. start a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Basically, like this is what people, this is what the kids are doing nowadays. You should start your own commune or join a commune. Yes, or like there'll be like kibbutzes dotted all over the greater United States or whatever. Mm. Like, yeah, good idea. As long as murder doesn't happen at the end. Yeah, and it looks like a good idea, and it's 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 looking good. And it's around this... It's like those shake shops. It's like, yeah, let's get a, a Mars bar and two Snickers and a load of Maltesers and some peanut butter and a banana and make a milkshake out of it. Yeah. No. No. But you feel from this period of time that there's also someone of kind of like a handoff happening here a little bit where Dennis Wilson starts to lose his uh, enamor for the Manson of the group. Well, he was kind of like put on, put on the back foot by the rest of the Beach Boys. They're like, dude, you're fucking fucking up everything and these guys are hanging around all the time we can't write yeah we can't tour they're a bit crazy don't like that guy's song and stop making us record this guy's songs we just had a chat to your accountant and you spend how much yeah yeah supporting these people like crazy amount like sort of so Dennis uh, uh, introduced him to Terry Melcher his record producer friend because he tells Charlie you're not getting on brother records Uh, we're not going to put your music out so introduce him to uh, a friend who who is a record producer who put music out and sort of like that movie The Ring hands the VHS tape over and goes now it's your problem <laughs> now mate. it's your problem now it's your problem but like, the, the if Beach you don't Boys, pass it on with seven minutes you'll yeah. get stabbed to death the, the Beach Boys weren't totally averse to like Manson's music or his message or mm-hmm. like definitely they're all, they're looking, everyone's always looking for the next big thing mm-hmm. right and nobody knew the next big thing was going to be punk and kind of to be honest the Manson family and their mentality kind of straddled the the fence between punk and anarchy mm-hmm. and uh, like abolition of society mm. as we know it, which is an extension of the hippie movement, which yeah, is like let's tear down the system. It was just a natural revolution into that, and yeah. you know the Manson family straddled that tumultuous fences, yeah. imagine, borderline so between both like, Imagine the mamas and the papas, but instead of Mama Cass from them, it's John Lydon from them. It's yeah, but let, let's 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 take Mama Cass then, for example. Mm-hmm. It was so attractive to go and live on the ranch and to be like sexually free and you know narcotically evolved. And go and rap and talk shit with Charlie Manson, who was some kind of a self-professed guru with a whole load of like pussy worshippers all around him. That Mama Cass and Jim Morrison from the Doors 
would go regularly out to the ranch in California and hang out with them. So, like, uh, they were regular, uh, regular people out in Span Ranch. Like. Yeah. So let's talk about this ranch, Span Ranch. So uh, Dennis Wilson asked him to leave his house there at Sunset Boulevard. He says, "I can't be having you people around here anymore." So the the, the Manson family, which has grown in size again, which yeah. is figure it because what a boon, what a draw it is to join this commune that are staying in Dennis Wilson's house. <laughs> so now they've got even bigger numbers again and they need to relocate and he needs a big area. Obstacles and move from a mansion fully paid by a very, very rich man who is buying them everything yeah. at a moment's notice. Mm. And now they all have to upsticks and go and where do they go? Yeah, so he finds a very uh, a very exciting place really for, yeah. to bring them all. There's, so there's a man named George Spann who owns a ranch and this ranch is essentially on it. There's It's a large, large area of land and on it he has like an old timey western town now it's, set, a, it's a movie set. set it's a film set it was used as a film set uh, so he's got like a, an old timey western town there uh, like a you know a knocked up film set one he's got a like a, a car yard sort of like a old disused car yard with all saloon and cards, livery saloon doors like, all that all that stuff so he's, he's, he's got like this big area livery. <laughs> yeah so this is essentially where they moved to they moved to an old wild west ghost town yeah wh- and the, the, the play and fun and games that they had there pretending to be cowboys and Indians. Yeah, and, taking LSD you know, and, and... tripping balls and running yeah. into the desert and... Living inside paint your wagon. Yeah. Like, living the life, having a laugh. So this is where they relocate to and this is where Terry Melcher comes to see them. He arrives on the ranch. As, as we said, all sorts of famous people showing up. He comes up and he, he's there. He, he comes a few times and like I said, he, he sees Jim Morrison there. He sees these people there. It's selling the idea to him even further. He's, he's totally selling this idea. happening. Yeah. yeah, this is happening. This thing that he thinks is happening, Manson stepped it up a gear and now suddenly he's like, this is the movement, this is the thing. And uh, one of the people at the ranch, Manson has there, Manson has a lot of his people at the ranch, there's a few uh, disenfranchised people that are that are staying there and they get co-opted into the, the group also. And there's also a stuntman there. This was an old movie set and there's an old Wild West stuntman who just lives there. Around. He lives on the ranch. He never left. So when the, when the movies left the ranch and the ranch became disused for filming, the stuntman never left. He just stayed there in the saloon jumping off the roof every day. Yeah, he, a crash he, has bag. A, he has a bed on the canopy of the saloon and yeah. every time he wakes up he has to fall like nine feet to the floor when he wakes yeah. up. Every, Love day, that. every day when he wants to go to the bathroom he says jump through the window. It's a living. And George Spahn says, Man, nobody comes here to film anymore. Stop breaking the window every day. I can't afford to replace this. Jesus. Uh, There's a player piano in the saloon hooked up to the double doors, and every time he walks in, (laughs) and and the saloon just closes. It's George Spahn, though, is the man. He's he's the nickname king. So when the Manson family arrives, he's the one that starts dishing out nicknames to everyone and gives them all. So uh, uh, Squeaky From, he gives her that nickname from the name, or from the sound she makes whenever he runs his hand up her thigh. (laughs) Surprisingly, yeah. He seems kind of a, a creepy old Jimmy Savile type. This, uh, yeah, he was delighted to get a few young, good looking young ones moving yeah, in. Yeah, and obviously happy to have this group move in, happy to have the free love movement they have, and happy to get paid with uh, whatever money and services that Charlie would be happy to provide. Well, so it's um, more services than George, money, you know. George Spann was also blind. He was indeed. Um, so having a load of fit, healthy young people around his crumbling down ranch was kind of cool with him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they came in and like tied him up in a room anywhere. He was he was all right with this. And there's several suggestions that Manson was getting some of the girls to do him some favours. Yeah, well, she is. That's um, how you pay for your ranch day. Huh? Which, uh, for a blind, bold, ugly old dude, that's kind of nice to turn up on your doorstep. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, you know, could have never seen it coming. Yeah, it's understandable. <laughs> that, that's how I pay for my holiday accommodation when I'm abroad. Yeah. 
It's a good way to travel cheap. It's called couch surfing. That's not what couch surfing is. That's not what couch surfing is. That's not what couch surfing is. Feel safe to go to couch surfing website and, and yeah. host somebody or, or surf yourself. It's fine. It's not. It's not Uber for God's sake. You're like, hey, you want you want to have a lie in and breakfast in bed in the morning? Cast checks. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but this is this is Manson's kind of high moment. Now. Late where, check out. Yeah. <laughs> this is where this is where things are turned from. Chest. Oh, sorry. Back to the pearl necklace. This is a callback. This is where Manson starts to like things start to fall apart from a little bit now. So one of the people uh, we said on the the ranch is the stuntman George Shea, mm-hmm. uh, cleverly named. And this is how clever uh, George Spann, the owner of the ranch, is at naming people. George Shea was an ex stuntman, six foot four inches tall, very very big, very broad, very tall fellow. So he calls him Shorty. That's where the he is blind, him. isn't he? He's not. <laughs> <laughs> he is blind, George Spann. Exactly. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. a Shorty. Um, no, so George George Shea is named Shorty, and George Shea is a stuntman on the set, and he has a black girlfriend. This doesn't seem like much of news, but what we don't know about Charlie Manson too much yet is that he's not the biggest fan of black people. In fact, some might even go so far as to say he's a racist. Well, well, possibly. Who would say that? Well, who can say? Well, no, no, no. And I'll pick this up here. There's, there's many stories. I, I'm not sure from Charlie himself, but there's many stories that uh, he was right in prison by black people so I'm not entirely sure that it's a racism thing if a subsection of a group of society specifically single you out to be raped a lot Mm. Um, that's I'd hate that group of people too I'd probably hate people who look like them as well Uh, the people of a uh, well in prison there's a higher uh, ethnic segregation level or maybe just the, the the black guys just fancied him more. Yeah, he was a small yeah, because he was white a small little here. white guy who was like, "I'm fucking crazy. You don't fuck with me." And then all the black dudes are like, "Yeah, we're crazy." Too, and they go, so. "We go. We know what happens about the girls that say don't don't fuck with me. They're always yeah. the wildest." And <laughs> yeah, he was probably the wildest. But uh, yeah, that's uh, disgusting. Uh, terrible to think about but this is this is a thing that he had in his locker and he runs into a bit of trouble here with George Mann because George Mann has his, his girlfriend who he's bringing to the ranch a lot to, to hang out and she's bringing her friends also who are coming to the ranch to hang out a lot and Charlie gets in an altercation with George one day and tells him straight up stop bringing these black people around to the ranch I don't like it it's affecting things here It's a, I don't like the tension it's causing uh, between me and the group uh, it, it's got to stop now and he you know uses the n-word and is generally pretty bigoted and pretty racist. But this, so what, did, what did Melcher think of all this? This is all seen by Melcher. Melcher's there that day, sees this entire thing going down, this kind of altercation between them, and Melcher thinks, I'm not sure I should really base my documentary on this guy anymore. I think he's a bit of a complete racist. And as such, not fit to, to make a documentary about, it was just going to dive bomb. So he tells Charlie, the documentary's over, that's not going to happen. Uh, Imagine if that documentary was made and we could see that now, like what was going on there then. Yeah, the truth of it all, like yeah. behind the scenes cameras following everything Crazy they did. Good. Yeah, unbelievable. I'd say is, is what you'd really see out of it. So, like, what what other like everybody is linked in this town. So, like mm-hmm. Jim Morrison and Malacast are coming over. Where where does Melcher start and end with Charlie Manson? Well, this the start is is the introduction. Like it seems like Wilson, more... the handoff, if you will. The yeah. end, though, it comes kind of messily. What happens is he he vetoes the uh, documentary, tells him that's not going to happen, but there's possibly still a chance of a recording contract and making mm. an album with him, like the songs. So invites Manson over one last time to his house, where Manson had been plenty of times to talk about things and play music, and and the the Manson family himself had been invited over by Melcher, who saw the the fun they had in in Dennis Wilson's house, invited him over to his place. At uh, <laughs> at, uh one zero zero five zero Cielo Drive. 
is uh, the premises that uh, Melcher was renting at the time with his girlfriend Candace Bergen, who you might remember as Murphy Brown, TV's Murphy Brown, mm-hmm. and uh, the guitarist Mark Lindsay from the band Paul Revere and the Raiders, uh, who's his house guest. They're staying there, and Manson comes over, does the last demo, kind of uh, plays a few songs, records a few things, and Melcher informs him, you know what, like gets the heebie-jeebies off the guy and informs him, you know what, I don't think it's going to work out. Well, he he would refuse to be produced. That's what the heebie-jeebies yes. were. And, and he was like, hey, hey, Charlie, can you just... It's my song, I'll play the way I want to. You go fuck yourself, Melcher. And, and Melcher's like, <gasps> okay. Do you want to get your call, Do you want to get your call, Charlie? Like, yeah. yeah, and that's it. And too Char- much. And Charlie sent on his way. And Melcher, getting the heebie-jeebies from the fella, and for many other reasons, I'm sure, decides him and, and Candice Bergen and, and his friend Mark Lindsay will just up sticks and move off to Malibu. Where he's got, because he's got they're a, afraid of what Charlie would because do. they're afraid of Charlie and he's got a recording contract out that way so he just he just up sticks and, and outs that way and, and does some recording with some other artists uh, but Charlie doesn't see this as the end of the situation so as uh, as any normal rational sane person does he calls over the house to have one last talk with him so he calls over the house and there he finds uh, Sharon Tate he goes over the front door knocks on the front door and finds the actress Sharon Tate wife of Roman Polanski very uh, pregnant wife of Roman very Polanski. pregnant wife of uh, Roman Polanski, famous famous actress herself. He goes over and finds her. Says that he's looking for Terry Melcher. She says Terry's not here. He's moved. He's moved away. I'm renting the apartment or the property now with my husband Roman Polanski. Oh lord. Yeah. So uh, Charlie uh, returns the next day to meet with the owner of the premises and to ask him where Melcher gone. He he gives him Melcher's new address in Malibu, uh, and Manson returns home again. Uh, so that's the end of the story. He's he's uh, the guy's moved away. Pretty much, yeah. Contracts. Manson Manson was looking for this Melcher person, clearly very unhappy with them. But at this point, is now informed that Melcher's disappeared to Malibu, and it seems that Manson even was able to manage to track him down in Malibu. Didn't go out there to find him, but sent one of the one of the followers out there with a note to explain that uh, he was still looking for a recording contract and to to please call him back. And that note was just left on on Melcher's front doorstep, and that's the last correspondence he ever had with Manson. Yeah, Lucky Melcher. Yeah, Lucky Lucky Melcher got away with it. Um, but that seems to be Charlie's downfall. This is where things start to fall apart from a little bit. Yeah. So Where, like, on the ranch, as far as I was reading, what Charlie Manson undertook with the family was a regimen of embodiments of massive amounts of hallucinogenic drugs and the systematic and deliberate psychological breakdown of the main members, nay, all the members. Mm. Like, this seems like some MK Ultra shit. Like, this seems it, like some, some you know, communal yes. mind wash, brainwash kind of scenario. Uh, the, the, the actual specifics of it, the, the recreation of the crucifixion and yeah. the play acting and the destruction mm. of uh, values, one of the first things he did with all of them was uh, how can you say uh, that the killing is wrong? If we're now engaged in the Vietnam War, yeah, but it was all that kind of like looped thinking, you know. It was mm-hmm. kind of this thing of like, would you do that for me? Yeah, would you? You know, do you love me? Yeah, will you? Will you do something for me then? Yeah, you do anything for me. Well, it's like, well, do you not love me? Yeah, I do. Well, will you do anything for me? They're like, yeah, okay. And then eventually he turned it into, you, you are me, you, you are me, I am you, we are all one, the oneness of humanity. Here, have another acid trip. Now, the oneness of humanity, everybody all together, you know, like, that, hip, it. that build, hippie say, dream that still was being sold well into the early 70s. He'd like, say, would you be like, the finger on my hand, and would yeah, you do what I command the finger to do? And then he'd say, would you, would you be the hand itself? 
Would you do what I commanded to do? Would you be my extension? Would you be my hands, my eyes in the world and do what I command you to do? Yeah. And he builds it like that slowly over time till by the end of it, they're like, you're right. I would give myself completely over to anything you asked me to do. It's the same as if you asked me to get you a glass of water and I do it. Well, how's it any different from anything else you asked me to do when I, I follow that command? It's just following your will well, what, as I believe it, it is true. What he used to do, to, two, of the, two of the little chicks he used to do was... Well, obviously take a lot of acid. And mm-hmm. I, a lot of the girls in their interviews say, well, we took, we took like so much acid, like so much, like a mind smashing amount of acid. And she's like, and we used to trip for hours and hours and Charlie would talk to us. But I remember, I don't think Charlie was taking as much as we were or any at all, maybe. I, I, I wasn't checking when he was taking it, but. It just felt like he was more in control and we were totally out of control. And he was our guru. He was the one leading us on on this, you know, this journey. So, like, these girls are going, now that I think back on it, he didn't fucking take that. And we were the ones that were hopping loads of acid into us. And, and he, you know, he was then, like, manipulating our minds now when we were banged out of it. Like, that's the dude you're dealing with on a ranch that has, like, infinite like possibilities this you know? seems to be the story I'm hearing from a lot of the, the victims or family or whatever you want to call them of uh, it's the, the the frog in a pot yeah you put a frog in a pot and then you slowly turn up the heat rather and than they don't into a boil of water they'll it jump out and it'll stay in the pot the whole time yeah, it'll yeah. stay in the pot until it dies until yeah. it cooks until it's so warped that it has no connection to what morals or fiber but this or the thing, another condition of destroying the connections was he banned watches he banned time there was no such thing as time like he, he said mm. we're not dealing with time but it's one of those things of like you know do you see the same colors I see it's the same fucking shit of mm. like hey man time is a hey man time is a man made construct man made time time made man man time you get it and everyone's like yeah, yeah, we're all on acid. Of course, we're gonna we're gonna get it. Time, man, man made time. Like, Write yeah, that down. Yeah. We're, we're, we need to remember that tomorrow. That, you know, like fucking they're fucking them up with like rudimentary like stoner bullshit. But they were young kids, sort of nineteen to twenty, and all they were like, "Oh my god, he's like he's like Jesus. He's so profound and all." You're like, it's so immersive. It's such a immersive like, thing. Total immersion. Like no time. Take their name away. It's give them play. a nickname. Let's take the time act. away. Take the time away. Exactly. Play act. Take on new personalities. Uh, anytime you're out in the real familiar world, out in the streets, in the van, you're tripping on LSD. Everything seems or, unreal to you. Or, or you're spending your time in a Beach Boys house or in an empty Wild West movie set. Or you're following Charlie's commands to the letter. That was the other thing he used to do. Was asking to do like mad shit. Like used him to be like Susan Atkins. He used to do it to the most. Would be like, I want. Uh, I, I was watching like the, the, these, you know, the documentary uh, um, interviews or whatever, mm-hmm. and it'd be like Susan Atkins, like, go get me a coconut. I don't care if you have to go to Jamaica to get one. Go get a coconut or maybe a pineapple. Go get me a pineapple. And she'd be without question. She'd be like, okay. And she'd but get the up. hell do I get a pineapple? Yeah, but she'd get up and she'd leave and she'd go to get the thing, and then just before she's leaving, he'd call her back and he'd be like. What are you doing? And she's like, I'm going to get you pineapple. He's like, it's okay. Go back to bed or go sit down. But just the fact that he would demand this thing in a really rough, shitty way. And then she would like obediently stand up and just go without question, without, you know. Mm -hmm. Thoughts of her own. Yes, absolutely. Just get up and fucking go. Exactly. Never any self-interest. So never, no, I'm busier. No, fuck you. No, it was always about Charlie. And everything was always about Charlie. And this is the whole thing that led to these like murders is that you know, they were the finger on his hand. They were, 
they were the ones that that would do his bidding. Yeah. And you can see this even from But also like, it's that thing of uh, of taking the responsibility away from them. It's that uh, It's not it's 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 making them thinking that it's their idea. Mm. And that's a that's a that's like a that's a technique that's used in sales. It's used in like now modern manipulation. It's also used in stuff like the pickup artist mm-hmm. and Neil Strauss's The Game, yeah. where you have to make a woman feel as if she's in control when really you're totally in control, and that means you'll get your hole if you want it, like some weird sex magic that seems to work, but it seems really creepy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's in it's in Manchurian candidate programming. Yeah, like uh, you get people to do what you want by making them think that it's their idea, yeah. like subconsciously. Um, if you've ever seen the like movie Inception, think, yeah, then like, absolutely. what happened at the end? Uh, do you know what happened at the end? Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan, MK Ultra'd us into watching that movie to the end. That's yeah. what happened. And watching a second and time, watching thinking we missed something. One. Yeah. But we didn't. Paying two times to go see Inception. Yeah, 22.50 that shit cost I me. I fell asleep the second time. <laughs> yeah. But it was so weird like that he was able to make Dennis Wilson Im- imagine that it was his idea to cover a Charlie Manson song yeah. and record it and play it with the Beatles. Like... They they covered the Manson song Cease to Exist and the words are like totally creepy. We'll put the lyrics up online on the website. Like it's absolutely mad fucked up. Like and uh, it was released as a song called uh, Never Learn Not to Love and it's on the 2020 album, right? So the lyrics were changed because it was too controversial at the time. Uh, and it was supposed to say like submission is a gift, give it to your brother. So they changed it to submission is a gift give it to your lover not that much different not that much different but it's like in the context yeah where it's like like loving submission of a couple submit to me yeah Yeah. like like submit to me what charlie meant was submit to me yes it's like submit submission is a gift i'm giving you to turn you to my dog as a gift yeah the beach boys fucking singing out on the tv Mm. going hey all the kids submit to charlie Submit to Charlie, do what he wants. Now I'm just imagining Beach Boys holding those big lollipop things with the black and white circular. Yeah, uh, Yeah. (laughs) Submit to Charlie, Charlie, do what Charlie wants. Like fucking madness, you know? And like Dennis was told by the rest of them, like, you gotta, you gotta not talk to this guy, you gotta not talk to this guy, or you're out of the Beach Boys. And he had to leave. But I mean, if you can have that much control, right? Like subconscious control of be the hand, be the finger on my hand over a dude who hadn't made the shit. He was one of the most famous men in America. Mm-hmm. And he was still able to be sucked in by the enamor of, of, of Charlie Manson's mm-hmm. like personality. That's such a power. Like that's a savage power. Indeed. Which, which is kind of so where you, I'm, that, that's where I think the conspiracy bit comes in. Cause if you think that that was purely Manson's personality, was able to create these amazing techniques that fully paid professors in scientific labs weren't really, well, were just about able to recreate after years and years and years of research. So do you think that yeah, Manson was trained by the MK Ultra crowd, um, by the CIA or by... If not specifically trained, there's definitely documentation that they were doing these kind of mind control experiments on prisoners at the time Manson was in jail. So you think it's an autodidactic, like a mirroring thing where these experiments are committed on Manson and then he re... He, he was smart, enough, them and did he them was smart enough to realise what was happening to him and yeah. go, this is really oh. clever, really, really clever. This is how I can get my way without having to hit people anymore. So we're kind of laying the blame then at the feet of the CIA for Charlie Manson. It's like you made him and then he did that and now that's your fault. 
Yeah. And that was the yeah. If that's well, for the way all we around, know, the, the blame is the direct. For all we know, that maybe we know that MK Ultra when we did that episode, that all the operations were so different and yeah. so varied. There was Operation Midnight Climax and over a brothel, <laughs> and then drugging the the Johns. Like they did some crazy, crazy stuff. Who's to say that the experiment that Manson wasn't involved in when he was in prison yeah. was let's take someone, teach them how to do the techniques, and see if they so make a cult when they get out of prison, <laughs> supply them with the drug that we'd usually use to drug people to snap their minds, and then see how they do it. So what was see the what drug they can do they because use? maybe they'll go further or they'll think of a thing that we could never think of to do, and we can document that and, and try it out and use that as a technique. Yeah, and at the very least, we have a very charismatic man with mind control techniques who's had a violent, violent yeah. history, and we're sending him off to California. Exactly, that'll do the hippie movement the world good. Yeah, yeah, we want to crush the hippie movement. Here's a good way to do it. Let's just send out, take some of their their leaders and turn them into psychopaths and send them back out again. Yeah, it seems like. Uh... Seems like a plan to me. <laughs> so what was this acid that they that they, they they give out then? Ah, well, this is where the, the real conspiracy comes in. The the, the um, Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Mm-hmm. Um, Firstly, the Brotherhood. So you have, a, you have a motorcycle gang called the Brotherhood. Yes. Right? And this motorcycle gang who dealt in, you know, all sorts of motorcycle gang type things and drugs. Uh, well, predominantly it was just weed. Yeah. They were just shipping weed. And if you're shipping weed for long distances in sort of any kind of amount, it's handy to be part of a big bike gang. Because mm. you put that in saddlebags and ain't nobody pulling you over. Mm-hmm. It's, even cops think twice about doing that kind of yeah, shit. Yeah, well, I mean, biker gangs had, had reputations yeah. like the Hells Angels and stuff like that were, you know, notoriously violent. Yeah, but what I like is that they were called the Brotherhood, and then when they started all taking LSD, they changed their name to the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like they were on the right path, and then a uh, man showed apparently, up one day. Apparently, at the same time, um, they were moving away from biker gangs because, actually, the Hells Angels were moving into the area. Yeah, and so, all the fuck around. Like, uh, yeah, no, it's either you come ahead and say, you know, and you're way, way, way low down on the pecking order. Or you give up your co- you give up your colours and you don't wear them again or you get stabbed. Yeah. Um so decided to move more into the drug trade. Um around about this time a man called Roland Stark arrives with a, a, a pot, a jar, a large container containing what's the equivalent of fifty thousand tabs of acid. Now, at the time, that was approximately the amount of acid that was in America. <laughs> mm. So this is like a Heisenberg type thing. If you watch Breaking Bad, uh, spoilers, or maybe not, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what spoilers means. Um, it's like when your book is yeah. weird and chunky. <laughs> Say that. Yeah, of course you are. Um, yeah, so like... It's this on the back guy, of a car. Yeah, this is kind of Heisenberg. Like, this guy shows up with, like, pre-made uh, 200 microgram tabs of, of LSD... Uh, a new kind of LSD, Orange Sunshine, it's called, and it's all pre-made, like ready to go. They can start distributing it immediately, flood the market immediately with Seems it. Seems suspicious to me. Seems quite suspicious. Like before that, they were getting their LSD from like a Sandals Laboratories, and it was uh, again not like unlike Breaking Bad. They, it was being created medical you know, LSD. medical level in the in the laboratory. Well, at and this then, point, LSD wasn't fully like criminal. It wasn't illegalized mm. at this point. It was still yeah. being studied, still being yeah, studied, yeah, and it was really still a legal was. substance to be able to acquire if you were, you know able to get like a medical student yeah so they were, had, that's exactly how they were doing it they're buying it from, from the laboratory and they're buying it in small doses because they're only allowed to buy so much at a time and suddenly a guy shows up with a huge amount ready made packed ready to go start shifting it today and get it on the streets into people yeah. ingesting today quite suspicious yeah and it, also Orange Sunshine was one of the more virulent strains of 
The diethylamide. Well, it was a strange yeah. compound. Uh, lots of people that were taking LSD at the time and taking the, this uh, Sontos uh, LSD, which was being majorly shipped in from Sweden, were saying that was a very pure, clean uh, buzz. Lots of psychedelic colours, uh, lots of time distortion, yeah. and very chilled out and trippy. And Well, as chilled out and trippy as LSD can be, yeah. it's, it's never a cool thing to be taken if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Um, and hence cool the kind of the guru or the the shamanic principles behind it, like mescaline and peyote and yeah. ayahuasca and all of these hallucinogens have this kind of yeah. you know drum you to guide or to do, to yeah help you along and they'd obviously yeah. be sober or you know maybe very you, experienced in the drug and if you really do lose your shit, someone there that's sober enough to slap the yeah, bits out of you, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, these lads were drinking this shit. Yeah. And then go on buck wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, they seem to be all right. But then uh, your man Roland Stark appears with this new orange sunshine LSD. Right. Now, orange sunshine LSD apparently is uh, far more speedy, far more amphetamine based right. uh, feeling. Um, uh, far more. Uh, so you take it, you're super fucked up, but you also want to run around the place being super fucked up. Speeding off your bits and with a huge component. Everybody that's talked about it has talked about this component of uh, being disembodied, being uh, a feeling of that you're outside yourself. Like a ketamine kind of buzz. Yeah. It? That your 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 body's there and you're watching your body do things, but you are disassociated from it. Yeah, well, that's very MK. Supposedly, this batch was caught in a, in a few. This massive batch was caught in a few different ways. So some were laced with speed. So as I said, they had the kind of speedy elements to it. Uh, some were laced with extra amphetamines, and some were laced with strychnine. And so there were people dying from strychnine poisoning. Because there was batches of this LSD that were laced with strychnine, so it that seems were, like there were higher levels of strychnine than other batches. Yeah, so it seems that like whoever whoever produced this <laughs> what a bad trip. And, and put it out there on the street, they were making kind of slightly different versions of this. I guess maybe to test what each one would do, or to see how it would do in a massive, you know, illegal well, clinical or trial. To kill a few hippies. V- yeah, and, and also if you want if you want LSD to be completely demonized in the, in the media immediately, what you want is a, is a certain like ecstasy kind of in the nineties. You want a certain amount of people to die. Yeah. Like so a certain percentage of like that myth in the So story. you can say that like a certain percentage of people will definitely die from taking this. That's how and, dangerous this is. And, and then be proved right. And then prove right yeah. when those people do Something die. Something that may prove completely innocuous, but yeah. Um very, very shortly after Roland Stark turns up with this tons and tons of LSD to give to a biker gang who's suddenly found eternal love and mm-hmm. changed their name to a sort of pseudo hippie movement. Uh, the biker gang, who is now the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, decides to go to the Altamont Festival. Mm-hmm. Where they distribute free ten thousand individual stamps oh, Lord mercy. Oh, my. to everybody at the concert. Do you think that yes. was like a mass hallucination experiment? Well, maybe? oddly enough, for these kind of hippie free love movement concerts, which generally went off absolutely like Woodstock, I think there was one person that fell over and broke their ankle. One, one. Oh, she could do that in the street. Yeah. yeah. Um, at Altamont, there were four people stabbed. Right. Hmm. It was a kind of a. Swedish House Mafia gig kind of atmosphere, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, this is the Rolling Stones. You can there's a documentary that's called Nightmare in Altamont, and uh, yeah, quite a terrifying thing. They had they had hired the the, the Rolling Stones to roll into town and plan this huge outdoor event at uh, the Altamont Park, and they didn't have security planned. So they their managers went to like the local Hell's Angels gang and said, "Hey, would you guys run security for us?" And they said, "Sure, this would be a great chance for us to sell all this new asset that we've got." And the manager went, "Sorry, what?" And they went, "Oh, nothing." 
and then that was it. He so he hired them to do the security. They were a little rough and tumble. Started distributing acid and selling it to everyone in the crowd. And as soon as they were tripping and get a bit out of control, just started. Well, no, and into no, people. that's that's the Hell's Angels who were doing the security. But then the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, another biker gang, turns up and starts distributing free LSD to the entire crowd. Oh, so you have a you have a free LSD run that's coming at everyone. Stay yeah. away from the Brotherhood's acid. It's too weird. Yeah. Nobody but that's very weird. Yeah. yeah, that's like just Nobody's just a brother of eternal love. Some guy's tripping balls just walking around the field with not non, sweating like a motherfucker. Got this one of the speed ones, and he's just like, Don't take the shine. Don't take the orange sunshine. Just like fucked up. I can imagine that shit, man. It's crazy. Mm. Nightmare at Altamont is scary to watch. Mm. It's like uh, uh, Woodstock 99. Yeah. It's like, why? Why are you doing that? Yeah. What are you doing that for? Did that fucking siding, did that aluminium siding do anything to you? <laughs> like, why are you trying that gate? Why are you hitting that girl? Like, there's people raped, people stabbed. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. Buck like, wild, man. Like, Shit when, when the first strains of Sympathy for the Devil started ringing out, the place just went fucking mental. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. literally mental. Murder started kicking off. But, Which, uh, it, it, it's very, very, very uncommon for that to be happening with LSD. Hmm. Like, one dude would go crazy, maybe. Maybe two dudes would go crazy. But that's the crazy of you sit in a corner wobbling for a couple of hours. Yeah, you just have a bit of a war moment. To go randomly stabbing people? Mm. Yeah. That's not really the, the ethos or the, the... The free love sickness. The free love. Yeah. No, but I mean behind the drug LSD. Yeah. LSD is going to make you introverted if you're having a bad time. You you, you turn in on yourself. You're yeah. like very focused and repetitive and it's very... Not that I've taken it. I mean, like this is what I've read. It's one of the drugs that I didn't take. Yeah. Uh, out of all of them I was afraid of getting you know like well, ha- hallucinating and, and losing my mind because like I knew my mind wanted to go places and I was like dude if that's as strong as I read about like I'm going to go there and I'm, I'm just not going to bother coming back I think well that's it. you're going to spend an hour and a half looking at the back of your hand going yeah. that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen that's and now I understand how that works Bill Bailey does the thing like that's a bit interesting that's a bit interesting oh that's a bit interesting oh yeah. that's very interesting that's a bit interesting and you just get like caught up in these minuscule details yeah. of how something everything's amazing like, all the stuff you never noticed before yeah. but in nowhere even in bad trips I've had have I ever gone ooh I wonder where my knife is because I want to stick it that's what I mean people, people who take amphetamines like and, and you know smoke crank or like do meth and stuff like that like that stuff would drive you to that because you're losing all sense of self sense of person sense of responsibility like LSD does the same thing but in a collaborative collective way where you're like I've lost all sense of self not that I'm empty as a person but that I've conjoined myself with the universal oneness of humanity rather than I just smoked a lot of crank and now I want to fucking stab him off again steal his money and get some more money so I can buy some more crank and like have no respect for human life or for your own yeah. well-being or whatever it's a disassociative kind of thing and so if our sunshine is taking you to that place this is another, I wouldn't see why they wouldn't be able to do that like, you know? well this is another very strange part of the story of the Brotherhood of Eternal Love who then after Altamont quite rightly get the reputation that this uh, orange LSD sunshine is not very good Yeah, it makes you go crazy and twitchy and if you can get anything else please do like literally anything else and at this point, Charlie Manson ends up getting a direct contract with the Brotherhood of... Are you hearing this? Mm-hmm. It's a bin truck. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's having a flashback there. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so at this point in the story, uh, we take another slightly strange left turn of uh, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love are now uh, getting a bad name for this Orange Sunshine yeah. the after the Ultimate Fiasco Massacre. There's a couple of words being thrown at it. Um, at this stage, Charlie Manson, or one of his cohorts, um, ends up getting a connection to the Brotherhood of Love who supply them directly with large amounts of orange sunshine oh, LSD. Oh, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shit, man. Now, I could give... Maybe that's coincidence. Maybe that's just the way it is. There's, there's just one more little tale to the story that uh, Roland Stark was arrested in 1975 in Italy for trying to transport large amounts of hashish. Uh, I think it was from Afghanistan into Italy. Um, he was arrested, he was brought to trial, he was uh, interviewed in front of loads and loads of drudges, where he turned around and says, I have been working for the CIA since the 1960s, and produces documents and documents and documents and documents wow. of pay slips from Langley, Virginia to him was part of it. Um, uh, and uh, Was there any, like, 5,000 litres of... Uh, Orange no. Sunshine LSD receipts or anything like that. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. Um, but some of the other uh, names that Roland Stark was involved with selling drugs to were uh, the Weathermen. Anybody know about the Weathermen? The anti-capitalist uh, terrorist organisation that was going on in America in the 70s. Well, uh, have yeah. a look. Uh, was involved with them. Was involved with the Red Brigade in Italy, mm-hmm. um, which were a terrorist organisation. And... Uh, uh, Third one, the Bader Meinhof was the Bader Meinhof group, mm. um, but that was more uh, uh, money and weapons mm. than it was drugs. Of but course. this one dude is flying all around the world with these supposedly secret terrorist organizations has links with far, far, far too many of them. And he was on the CIA payroll. Yeah, that shit's bananas. Yeah. No. So this CIA guy came out and basically like. Started the Manson family with a lot of these mind crunching, this mind control LSD that's psyche splitting, yeah, this designed for like Um, personality splitting. The Manson family was doing the Manson family, but he had 50,000 tabs of this stuff, he was doing the west coast of America. No, I know, but I mean, like, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a. It was a play by the CAA to possibly destroy the hippie movement by yeah. making them all completely ineffectual as humans by going, now your minds are all fucked, bleh. Mm-hmm. But the Manson family ended up taking this and a guy who was already using MK Ultra techniques, Scientology and hypnosis, persuasion, language and, and techniques on these people now had a perfectly genetically or scientifically formed version of LSD that would actually aid in this like DID inducing multiple personality self disassociative acid trips that were to, to conjoined with control their, their personality anxiety. yeah like the atmosphere probably changed at the ranch where people was all like oh what the fuck are you looking at why are we like planning to kill people what's happening why is Charlie like crucifying himself the well whole no time? and mm. this is just about in the timeline where the first murder happens right well mm. at this time like with this LSD I was reading that Charlie is is <laughs> he's basically like going hard with the old like mind control Ever. and hypnosis stuff he's He's catching people in in moments of weakness when they're feeling too happy and they're feeling too free, and he's like bringing them back down to earth with this this trauma based, uh, you know, language and trauma based actions. Like you were saying, when you're at that level, all it takes is a bad look, 
Mm. And you can, you can, like, it's a trauma because you love this person. <laughs> so he would say stuff like, uh, I could still see your mother on you. It's conditioning. You're not dead yet. Do you know? They're breaking them right down psychologically, which is a great starting point for like a DID programming mm-hmm. or a multiple personality that they'd switch into that multiple personality and then commit these terrible crimes or do whatever needed to be done, you know? Um, he was the focal point at all times when everybody was taking LSD and they really ramped up the LSD consumption and that led up to the days before the murders. So like in the months coming up to the murders, they were living there for a couple of years on this ranch. So like in the months coming up to the murders, they were hopping LSD into them. And and Charlie Manson was going around saying he was Jesus basically. Yeah. So like this orange sunshine LSD really aided in his well, also at this time, the, 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 the helter skelter thing really kicks in. Right. So let's explain helter skelter then mm. to our dear listeners. So this is this is the crux of uh, Charlie Manson's ideology, ethos. yeah, or ideology. future mysticism, or he believed in the race war. So blacks versus whites. Mm. Uh, our, the, white, oh, yeah, he, the white oppression of the black people in America was going to cause uh, an insurrection. Yeah, he didn't like new race wars. He was like Muslim or that. He like classic style race war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the introduction of new, you know original classic original, style race war. Yeah, 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 which is black against white, and he thinks Courage. that's that's what's coming. So playing into his his racism for whatever reasons he has it, playing into the racism that he's he's had all his life. He he really believes that there's a race war coming, and at the Beatles song Helter Skelter. Uh, is foretelling in its cryptic lyrics. It has this, a code inside yes, of it. Yes, there's a code inside of it that tells of the coming race war and that Manson believes that he and the rest of the family should prepare themselves for this coming war and that they want to be on the winning side on the way out. And that's it, basically. Simple simple enough ideology. So this is this is Manson's, like... Um, End of world. This is his yeah, mind, this is 2012 his, This is his pulling, pulling the pin on the grenade yeah, of this, this war. Is his, uh, this is his secret alien spacecraft that takes him to the heavenly planet. The this spark that would light the tinderbox of mm-hmm. the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. That he wanted to be the instigator for like a, an African-American insurrection. Mm. Well, he, he seemed certain what was going to happen. He didn't necessarily want to be the instigator at first, but as time rolled on, it seemed... That he did want to be the one to, to kickstart it, but I mean, there could have been a few reasons for but that. But he thought he thought these murders were going to expediate this race yes. war. He, well, he like, fully believed like this. Well, it depends what way you look at. It. I mean, like it, it, the murders, everything like that, kind of starts on July first, nineteen sixty nine. Manson goes to the house of a man, a drug dealer named Bernard Lotsa Papa Crow. Lotsa <laughs> so, Papa Crow. Lotsa Papa. He got lots of papa. Yeah, he has lots of papa. So Bernard Crow is a drug dealer who you know deals with biker gangs and deals with the Mansons. Uh, Manson gets uh, a bad drug deal off of him. Mm. Uh, he basically tells the, the Manson family members they need to make money in order to buy weapons and to protect themselves in the coming race war. He tells them to rip off a drug dealer. This is a drug dealer they decide to rip off. Bernard Crow decides that he's going to uh, threaten the Manson family, threatens to go down to the ranch and slaughter everyone there. So Manson takes it upon himself to go visit Crow and shoot him. Uh, doesn't kill him. Crow survives. And this is only reported years later. Crow says he didn't report at the time. He was terrified to terrified of Manson and what he might do yeah. it was only years later when Manson was in prison that he felt able to come out and report this so this is on the 1st of July uh, this happens Manson now uh, sees later then uh, in the week on the news that there's been a Black Panther member found uh, their body been recovered murdered he then thinks this might be Bernard Crow. Bernard Crow was a Black Panther member and he now thinks he's drawn the ire of the Black Panthers down upon him and the Manson family so so it would be in his interest to expedite the race exactly. war exactly so he thinks the coming race war is coming and that he's 
up there as one of the targets for the for the Black Panther movement for the black side of the race war, and he's looking to kick off the war and take himself out of the firing line and have the whole of LA just start turn into a powder keg of riots and race riots. Which seems consistent with his earlier pattern of I want this thing to happen so it's gonna happen. Yeah. And his induced paranoia and like complete narcissism and his messiah complex yeah. is totally kicking in. It's like Oh, I did a thing. Now the whole world is going to change because I did the thing. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it seems very strange that he's he's thinking that way and putting that thinking on other people. And other people are believing it. Yes. That's the worst part of it. Exactly. So, so who, who's living at the ranch at this point? So, like, Helter Skelter is on the, on the, on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's about to commit these murders that he's been planning for quite a while, I'm guessing, to kick off this race war. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, who are the people that he has like in his pocket? Like, so we've already side? we've already mentioned kind of Mary Mary Brunner, Mother yeah. Mary. She's the first lady in the, in the group. Then comes uh, Lynette Squeaky from. She's the second one. Uh, the third one then recruited by them is Susan Atkins. Uh, Susan has a lot of uh, nicknames: Sadie Mae Glutz or Sexy Sadie. Um, After the Beatles song. Yes, on October seventh, nineteen sixty eight, she has a son by Bruce White. Uh, and Manson is given the duty of naming the child. He names the child Jose Zadfrak Glutz. <laughs> which is He's got of, a sense of humour, even though. Which is, yeah, one of the finest, finest names I've ever seen in my life. Um, Susan Atkins. That was, guy went on to form a band called ZZ Top. Mm, he did indeed. <laughs> yeah, you may well know of him. In a special starting life. This was Jose Zadfrak Glutz. Yeah, excellent name. Three Zs in his name. Four Zs in his name. Pardon me, my account is mm. terrible. Uh, Susan Atkins is uh, a native of California. Not too much distress in her early life. Her mother dies uh, of cancer in 1963. Uh, the family moves around a little bit. The father can't quite hold the unit together and they break up. Her and her, mo- her, and her brother uh, go and move out on their own. Other Ranson members uh, at the time would be uh, Patricia Katie Krenwinkel. Um, she met Charlie at a party on the beach and they uh, he of course seduced her on the first night as he has a habit of doing with pretty much any woman he meets. Well, this this is a particular story. Patty, or Big Patty, or Patricia, mm-hmm. uh, she felt, in, in, in all the interviews, because I watched a lot of interviews of the Manson family, like not, not Charlie themselves, like Charlie himself, but the girls and their testimony of Charlie to get like a better, a more rounded view and also to get the, the point of view from somebody who's dealt with a man who has got over the allure of Charlie. Like Squeaky is not Squeaky from is not someone you should listen to talk about Charlie Manson because she's still mad about him. Hmm. So she will like defend him to the end. Hmm. But uh, also mad. And also mad. Hmm. But Paddy Crenwickle is like she was one of these girls that wasn't that attractive or whatever when she was younger and she was a bit big and you know, this kind of way. So she she couldn't believe it when Charlie came over and was like, You're so beautiful, like I, I love you and all that stuff. She was like Oh my god, no one's ever said that to me before. Nom 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 nom. Like and they got straight down to sex and like it's just he saw it from a mile away and just went She could do it, someone telling her that she's good looking now and I guarantee you'd be in. And he just went, That was it. Got done. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. You're my wife now. Yeah. It's really weird. Mm. And the same could be said for Leslie Van Houten, who like committed one of the murders by stabbing the Labianca wife sixteen times. Uh, she said that she just really wanted someone to love her. She just needed to be loved. She had a broken home. Same as Squeaky from uh, Patricia Krenwink of the same. Like, just desperate for somebody, some father figure, like an older mm. man, to come in, show them love, and then he just broke them down psychologically and just 
said, like, do my bidding. And, you know, they did. And it's really, it's hard to see it, to see somebody manipulate it like yeah. that so much. But Especially, like, like, later on when you're, you know, seeing them for 25 years, 30 years later and they're like, yeah, then he did this, then he did this. Like, describe it really objectively. It's fucking grim a little bit, like, going, yeah. oh, man, and now you know. I and mean, you can't do anything about it. And they're like, yeah, raging, raging. Do you know? It's like getting that tattoo, except, you know, the tattoo is prison. Mm. Like getting that tattoo of Tweety Bird right in your fanny. And you're like, yeah, guys, I think this is cool forever. And then, like, you know, it, t- it turns from Tweety Bird into Big Bird. And, <laughs> do you know, it's not that good anymore. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, I just ruined my vagina forever. Yeah, for no like, good just, reason. Yeah, but it's not prison. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, fuck, it's slightly, so, slightly better. Than so bad, man. Mm. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so who else like who are other the main counterparts in these murders that, that mm. Charlie made the people commit we're not going to go too much into the murders now folks we're more yeah. about the family and how it happened you can watch any documentary you can the murders and, and the, get the tell you all the details you details. we're not yeah. going to go go through like he, you know he took 15 steps and he was stabbed 19 times mm. yeah I mean people died and a lot of horrible stuff happened you know, we'll run through it, we're we'll run through. going through the why yeah. this is, this but, is uh, you, have, you also have uh, Charles Tex Watson uh, unsurprisingly named Charles also had to take the nickname Tex yeah because I mean there can only be one Charlie there can only be one Charlie I tried to find some stuff about him online and there's mm. really very little did you guys find a whole um, lot yeah, there's, there's very little to him he was a straight A student then dropped out uh, a straight A student and, and, a, and an athlete I found yes, yeah so uh, uh, Fort Worth Texas uh, did very well but wanted more in life and so jacked it all in, left university and moved to LA where he took a job in the baggage claim department of LAX. Right. Uh, using he, his using his American football skills to hump those bags out of that record pace. Exactly. Uh, working in the baggage claim, made some connections there and began selling marijuana and LSD that was coming in through the airport. How bad? Uh, yeah, not too bad at all. So uh, living his life in, in LA, looking for something, looking to connect somewhere, looking to be part of this new swinging movement that was happening and looking to be at the epicenter of it. Uh, and when he starts selling uh, LSD, that's when he makes his connection with Charles Manson. And is is like that's everyone else. He just sold, rolled in by yeah, accident one no day. No particular like, kind of bad childhood, no particular broken anything in his life. Just looking for some devilment. Looking for some devilment and meets a man who says, "Forget about your your Christian Bible bashing life that you had <laughs> back in Texas. Let's go have some fun." One of the things I found when he was trying to be arrested for committing the murders, which was months after the murders were committed. They couldn't find anybody to, to, to pin it on. Uh, that it was very hard for him to extradite him from Texas. That was one of the terms that kept on okay. coming up. I was to like, where? back to California, where he was going to be tried and prosecuted for the, okay. the crime. And I'm like, does Texas as a state have extradition rights and stuff? Like, you can't... You can't... If somebody is arrested in another state, obviously you can't get them back to your own state. Mm. Is that is that the way it works? Because it sounded really weird the way we were like, well, we didn't direct... I thought that was well, we didn't arrest Tex Watson. Yeah, if you're arrested in Texas, they don't send you back. They keep you there until you're tried there. Yeah, I'm well, like, if I'm after doing a murder and I might be, <laughs> I might be get, get caught and, and proven guilty, Texas is one place where I wouldn't want to be because you put the motherfucker in the chair there. Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? But they couldn't extradite him out of there, so he couldn't be he couldn't be tried for the for the murder. I don't know where he was tried. I couldn't find any videos of his trial. I couldn't find nothing of him talking. No interviews that he gave. Um, I only saw one interview that he gave at um, very young age. No, no, this is after yeah. um, whenever he converted to Christianity on right, his right. seventh appeal or something. Right, because I've seen loads of Susan Atkins, down. loads of Patricia Cranwinkle, loads of Squeaky from. Like some of them, I'm sure would have been told by their their solicitors, their barristers, or whatever, to keep your head down. Say nothing. Yeah, just keep your head down for the bit. Like, like disappear. Have people forget who you are. So when you go for parole, you're just you know a murderer who's looking. Well, for this is it. Off the uh, ten minute video of uh, Tex Watson, um, I'd say eight and a half of it is him saying, uh, "Yeah, but I know that's wrong now because I found Jesus." But she said Susan Atkins tried to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. She tried to say, "Yeah, I found Jesus, and uh, you know, forgive me for all my my sins." Yeah. And I remember watching the part where she was like forty five years of age uh, uh, in an appeal in court. And Sharon Tate's mother is sitting there and she's going, just shaking her going, no, 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 no. Your mom's roaring, crying and saying, I know that I did wrong. I found Jesus. I, I, you know, it's myself that I have to forgive. Like basically going like, I've, had, I've done enough prison time. This is going to haunt me forever, which is my prison. And I'm like, yeah, but you have to do prison as well. Hmm. And then the guy goes, you killed eight people. That means with the amount of time you spend in jail, you're only doing three years per murder. That's hmm. not enough. I think I you're only here for a long time, baby. I think I respect the born again Christians the least. Like from <laughs> just trying to get away from it. Yeah, like like going, Squeaky from who, which which religion forgives you again? Which one was that one? Yeah, Christianity. But like Squeaky from still being like connected to um, you know, still being enamored with Manson. At least you could say she has the courage of her convictions. <laughs> uh, but the other ones show that like you know, thirty years later and. They're still the weak-minded people they were before. They're still just looking for anyone else to to take the responsibility for them, to provide the answers for them, to do the thinking for them. So uh, at first it was Charlie, now it's their pastor in prison or their their Bible or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm. It's always somebody else needs to sort my head out for me because God forbid I should spend a second of my own time like thinking. I don't want to think. I don't ever want to think. I want to take drugs to stop me from thinking, and I want to have somebody else tell me what to think because I'm that weak of mind. Well, or wanna, that wanna... lazy a piece of shite <laughs> that I wouldn't even engage my brain for a second. Like atrophy. Like the same people that would probably just lie there all day in their cells, and the 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 wardens probably have to tell them to get up and do an hour in the yard so they don't get a complete atrophy of their muscles. Yeah, just complete sacks of nothingness that shouldn't exist. It seems weird that like you know Christianity is the religion that they choose because it's like yeah it's all about forgiveness and then also give like making Jesus your personal saviour so all the responsibilities on poor old Jesus yeah. for your dickheadery yes uh, so I have to speak a, a, a sacrament that I, I place on my tongue and it kind of melts away and then I don't see big lights and pretty colours yes yeah, it's all the fun of taking acid without the acid. Yeah, a lot of the same rituals, a lot of the same like yeah. fake crucifixions and stuff like that, but uh, <laughs> less murdering. Yeah, going to church is like being at the Rick Manson ranch, except you don't get the sunshine. And blowjobs. And blowjobs, yeah. which is... Well, man, I don't know, know we should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck out of here. Uh, well, you setting it up for yourself. Yeah, we did go to the same church. Awesome. We, did, we did go to the same church. Uh, I, I, I always, like, this, this part of this documentary stuck with me. I watched The God Who Wasn't There, which is a great documentary. You definitely should watch it. It's on Christianity and Born Again Christianity in particular. And uh, the guy who, who presents it was somebody who escaped the Christian church and it's like heavily dogmatic doctrine. And um, he goes, it's so weird to have a religion, right? Where they forgive you of absolutely everything. You forgive you of everything as long as you ask for forgiveness. But there is one thing that is completely unforgivable. And this thing is doubting the existence of the Holy Spirit for even a second. And if you do, you'll be in jail. 
in in hell forever and i'm like what the fuck kind of a fucked up psychological mind bender is that so when you're eight and you're told now if you even doubt the holy spirit for a second you're going to hell do you mean doubt the Holy Spirit? Is there no such thing as the Holy Spirit? Oh my God, I've already done yeah. it! Like, and then you worry then for years and years, uh, had you done it, yeah. will you go to hell? And it's like heavily indoctrinated into you, so you don't even begin to start to question it, because if you do, then the whole thing unravels like a shitty jumper. Yeah. <laughs> do you know, this is what Manson had this thing of like, indoctrination, do as I say, not as I do, this is the way it is, do it, don't ask questions, don't think for yourself, be me, be the finger on my hand, do that thing. And they did it without question, and murders happened. So you can see the correlation between unquestioning faith in an organized religion and unquestioning faith in a murderous, drug-addled, uh, you know, yeah, cult leader. Mm. It's very, very similar in that don't doubt anything at all. Because mm. if you start doubting it, you leave and that's not what we want because we either want your money or your your body mm-hmm. very weird all religions are cults very weird correlation you know so we're not going to go into the murders no. I don't really think there's any need uh, you know some people died it was pretty grim yeah we're talking about you know Charlie sent his followers in to yeah he just went go in kill those yeah. people and it was Melcher's house. He'd been to that house before. He'd been in the house many, many times. He knew intimately the, the means of ingress. Uh, he knew how to get out of there. He knew the layout of the inside. He knew that nobody would be able to hear anything that was going on because it's yeah. away from anywhere. He, it, was, it was very cold and calculated. The, yeah. the, the Tate, uh, Tate murders were, were very, very cold calculated. The LaBianca murders the next day were not quite as well calculated. That was literally just cruising around looking for someone to murder. Yeah, and this um, was the first time random. Charlie even got his hands even nearly dirty, dirty yeah. by going into the house and tying the two people up and then letting the lads loose on this this pair, you know? And commanding. See how far he could command them to do things. So. Yeah, well, uh, he cool. denies that he commanded doing them anything. Hmm. He denies that he commanded them to do anything. He mm-hmm. says, yeah, you know, they did what they did. I'm not going to say that I told him exactly what to do. But I'd love to be there for that briefing that he gave Tex before they went out for that first night. Just to just to hear what shit he told them. To make him just be that maniacal, like crazy, uncontrolled monster that he was. That I think he's completely underrated as. Like nobody thinks like everyone knows... Like you said earlier on, everyone knows Ted Bundy, everyone knows Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, Tex Watson is not up there amongst those great killers. Charlie Manson got all of Tex Watson's accolades from being a murderer. I know it's not, you know, you're not hunting for respect. Well, the horror horror was the sensationalism that put him in the papers. There was some kind of horror there. And even the the, the people at the Times, he he displayed inhuman strength. I was just going to say, Patricia Krenwick said he has that thing where, you know, a woman will lift up a car to save her baby. Mm -hmm. But he has that just for evil. Like, there was evil in him. Is the Christian, the the saying this. But I mean, like, to be able to do the things that he did to murder those people in that way and to be completely organised and fully focused... At one point, he was going around handing knives to the girls who hadn't committed any kind of, you know, crime or, or any part of the murder. And he put a knife in their hand and he especially did it to Leslie Van Houten and put a knife in her hand and said, do something. 
and then she stabbed Mrs. Labianca 16 times in the small of the back. Like, that's a frenzied fury. That's like, that's, that's crazy. Like, that is crazy. As crazy as crazy. Like, I mean, you know, you've a, you've a, a husband that's beaten a wife for 20 years and then the wife one day snaps and then stabs him a million times in the chest or whatever. That's not crazy. That's like pent up aggression that like uh-huh. snaps and go, you know what I mean? She still goes to jail or whatever, but like, to stab a stranger that many times because somebody else said to do it, that's, that's really hard conditioning, like, you know? Mm-hmm. That's um, pure control. He, he still had control even on the girls when they were in the courtroom after the murders and after they'd been convicted. He had them, like, putting up their hands and chanting at the judge. They were chanting at the judge, like, the judge is a woman, the judge is a woman, as if, like, being a woman was the worst thing ever. Like, it was, like, for Charlie to say that to them. <laughs> I, I heard that. I never took it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, a woman is the worst thing to be, so say the woman is, to say the judge is a woman. Do you know what I mean? I'm supposed Charlie didn't be like the judge is an N word, like or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, to, it's very odd how you're still able to control them, even in that situation where they're walking in in front of all the TV cameras, like hand in hand and skipping. Like these young girls are still buzzing off their tits on LSD and still managing to be able to get some mm-hmm. wherever they were. And Charlie Manson still was like coming over, going, and then they go into the into the the courtroom and they'd start singing or they'd start clapping or they'd you know they'd all sit out on the floor or whatever well this is the thing I have with madness like you're being tried for murder and you're acting the fucking bollocks like this like if you're going for an insanity plea yeah okay cool you're going right way about it but that's like crazy amounts of control you know yeah and he was all like in the courtroom like stand up sit down put one hand up put two hands up shake your head and they were doing all this stuff as the court case was going on and he was able to make up these techniques on his own after spending, what, seven years in prison. Madness. over that little period Like, of time. madness, how that could happen. That's why it's so scary, I think, to the common man of, like, suburban America. Like, oh, my God, this could happen to anybody. And it could happen to any of our kids. And Charlie Ranson kept on threatening that, going, if you, if you abandon your kids, they're going to come and find me. Charlie Manson's the boogeyman. Like, weird shit, man. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Scary, like, on a personal level. Squeaky from who wasn't arrested for any of the murders because Charlie thought, yeah, she wasn't able for it. She wouldn't be, like, emotionally able to go to the house and have text with a knife in her hand and stab a person, right? Yeah. Like, she wanted to prove herself so much to Charlie. And she was so raging, holding this vigil outside, outside of the courthouse being like no we're waiting for Charlie to get out and we'll stay here as long as it takes or whatever she went and she got a 45 pistol and she went and found President Gerald Ford on the way into a restaurant and she went and she put put the pistol up against his chest and she got like four pulls of the trigger away before a secret service man took it off her there was no bullets in the gun and you're like why the fuck are you doing that and now she's got life imprisonment well apparently just after it happened the only thing she kept repeating saying was it didn't go off it didn't go off yeah but there was no bullets in the gun like. yeah but who gave it a gun yeah well there you go see mm. could that be another MK Ultra test that they whoever gave her the news who, keep it big well no whoever gave her the gun just didn't load the bullets like it was just a, well, an no, activation like a DID thing like a Sirhan Sirhan assassination of Robert F. Or Kennedy show, uh, or a John Hinckley Jr. attended assassination of Ronald well, Reagan the explanation I read was uh, that was getting up to a period of time where a new batch of LSD was coming out that was a lot purer than the stuff that was mm. being knocked out by the Brotherhood and uh, they needed a reinforcement of the drugs are bad how can we do that? 
by ah, trying yeah, to she's get still the, around. Like who bring that who story wants back to up? hurt Gerald Ford? Yeah, he's the Homer Simpson of the White House. <laughs> like no one wants to fuck around with him. I don't know. It's it's very weird. He believes in UFOs, that what you're Yeah, about? Gerald Ford was the our only hope for finding out about anything. Like yeah, he's like, well, they told me one time that there's an aliens in the area. Huh? Oh shit! Like. <laughs> over dinner or something. It was General Ford's uh, Church Commission inquiry that found out the information about the MK Ultra programs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. I think we've. That's pretty much like it. I said, we're not going to cover the the gruesome details of the murder. You yeah. can catch all these stuff. They're not part in, of the mystery. We went through a two-hour show to listen to the gruesome events of the murders mm. that that the Manson family committed. Seek help. Well, yeah, seek help. <laughs> but also, we apologize. We didn't yeah. mean to lead you into a. A dark path of de- deception. We didn't mean to gore tease you. Yeah, sorry. That, but, that's, uh, that, that. You gotta get gore teased every now and then because the next time you get some gore, it'll be all the sweeter. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? Is that how it works? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Okay. Off the fence side, gentlemen. Let's. Uh, let's. Dave, what do you think? Uh, first things first. Do you think Charles Manson is guilty of murder, having never actually committed a, a murderous act himself physically uh, yes, yes. I, I, I'll go along with Manson's own words um, it was the finger that did it but it was attached to your hand indeed they were all just fingers of his hand yeah the followers yeah eh, that makes sense. equally responsible but equally responsible yeah and how do you feel about the idea of uh, maybe the CIA having a hand in not just them but in maybe a counterculture movement against the, the free love revolution idea um, absolutely certain of it Mm-hmm. Um, I would even go a step further as to say um, I would be highly surprised if Charles Manson didn't have first-hand accounts. Either it was perpetrated on him or it was taught to him of mind control techniques. Which is worse, taught to him or perpetrated on him? Taught to him <sighs> taught would to be him way more sinister. Terrifying. Do you think that's a possibility that it was yes. taught to him? Yes. That they picked him and went, you're a perfect candidate because... You're violent and you're pretty, pretty, and you're got great charisma, and you can play the psychiatrist. They, they had no, manipulate very well. Yeah, yeah they had no. Sort of they watched him in prison and went, "He's really good at manipulation. Let's get him." Yeah. Ha- right. Little did they know how successful he actually would be in mm. the real world. But yeah, yeah, it's mad. That is paranoia and fear of bigotry would drive him to murderous bends. Yeah. Do you believe the uh, Manson family girls? remorse now and their their appeals for freedom um, and stuff like that do you believe that they're actually remorseful now or do you do I'd you like to sit on the fence on that one but if I had to be pushed you off you have to be pushed off um, no one sits on the fence right? then actually I do I believe that, that before they even met Charles Manson they were uh, deeply deeply susceptible to manipulations of pretty much any kind and uh, newborn Christians the same thing yeah it's just it's it's exactly what they want wrapped up with a different bar. Do you think that the government provided acid and the uh, DID and MK Ultra techniques that Charlie Manson was imploring on these people was the sole reason for these murders? That these kids weren't already murderers and they kind of took it away from themselves. I'm saying in a, in a kind of a is Charlie innocent kind of way. On on well on the Roland Stark thing and the the orange LSD. I think that was more just to. Uh, slander LSD to, yeah, to put it was, a form it, of LSD out that was making people really agitated and was not a nice thing to be doing okay well let's, let me rephrase the question then. do you think that Charlie Manson was the government patsy for the destruction of the LSD and hippie movement uh, no I think that was just coincidence fortuitous yeah. 
he just happened to be doing these mind control techniques on these people when a drug came around that made you really anxious and upset and probably violent under those circumstances. All right. Well, Paul, let's get off the fence. And? Do you think Charlie's guilty even though he didn't lay a hand on anybody? Ah, see, that's a tricky one. Like, there's a part of me that's like, it would be nice to live in a world where human beings were responsible for their own actions. So what I mean is you couldn't have a human being that did a heinous, disgusting, horrible crime in the trailer and go, yeah, but they said do it. So it's okay. Nuremberg, don't don't try me. I was told to do it and I don't have free will because I'm some sort of uh, android robot that was built. And then you explain to them they're a human being and then their mind explodes or whatever because they never considered it. That's the only way I could I could give any leeway to these people if for some reason they didn't realise they were human beings and they thought that they were a robot that had programming and Charlie had the programming key. That's the only reason I can have any sympathy for these people. I'm sorry some of you had hard childhoods. Some of you. I'm sorry that some of you felt disenfranchised from the world like every other human being that's ever lived has. Yeah. Um, a few just, of them didn't have hard childhoods at all and they were just like, ugh, I'm just a bit like disaffected. Yeah, totally, yeah. So like, I'm sorry about all of that for you. Um, it's no excuse for anything. Do I believe any of them with their change in life, with their newfound uh, understanding of things? No, because... From all the interviews I read of all of them, uh, coming, and they've all been up for parole in the last five or six years. They've all had different parole yeah. hearings, and so they've all been interviewed in the last five or six Two, years. Two different sets of parole yeah. hearings, yeah. And uh, they've all given lots of information about how they're, where they're at now and where they've been in the last few years. And it's all the same. Every single one of them is the same. It's, it's all blame somebody else. It's all blame somebody else either for the crimes. So they all started blaming each other for the crimes, and they still do. And for control of their lives, it's, it's handed over to somebody else. It's blame... It's, Make it somebody else's responsibility. God forbid it's my responsibility for my own actions. And uh, I think... Is that not what Charlie was training him to be, though? Uh, no, that I think he, they were that before they, they met him. And do you think he's just taken advantage of that... Um, yeah, I think he went predisposed, predisposed, predisposed disassociative personalities where they would not never associate themselves with an action that they would take anyway. And if they did anything wrong, they'd always try and blame someone else anyway. Do you think that was that was his like the attractive point in what Charlie saw on these people? So he was like, these people will do something and put the blame in something else, so I can just reroute that in their head and make them do whatever I want. Uh, it could be. I don't think I. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give Charlie Manson that much credit to no. say that. Yeah, honestly, to say that he could he could like see them and go. I think this this is the road that this is heading down. I think it unfolded a little more organically in front of him. And uh, every time that he exerted more control and it worked, there was as much a learning process there as there was. He had it all mapped out in his head and he knew where it was all going. I mean, yeah. he did. I think he, he stumbled his way. And I think it accelerated faster than he wanted it to. And I think, you know, I, I think when they got set up in Dennis Wilson's house, Charlie thought, this is it for the rest of time. Yeah. And then when Dennis Wilson said, oh, you've been here too long, man, you've got to move out. And he, he popped over to Terry Melcher's house for a bit. He was like, this is it for the rest of time. And then they said, no, man, it's, you're overstaying, you're welcome, you're going to move out. So he went to the other ranch and he thought, this is it! And then they had to move to the other ranch. And I just think he was not a genius. And the people that he, he, he sucked in around him were especially not geniuses. Like, specially not geniuses. Mm. Um, and that's it. That's what this story is. It's a story of a lot of broken people. People who, in my opinion, and this sounds really harsh, and I'm not being really harsh, but I've had to do a lot of research and listen to these people talk for a while. So I've been very <laughs> harsh about them because I've had to listen to their voices and their stupidity. And the answer is, these are all really stupid people. 
really stupid. So if you're someone at home and you know someone in your family or you know a friend or someone like that in your life who's really stupid, that person could be ended up joining a cult. <laughs> if you see in the news now about, oh, like three 15-year-old girls from England have gone over to join a, a ISIS, uh, you know, and they're, they're joining essentially what's a, a terrorist cult. Don't be that surprised. I bet those three girls are idiots. I bet if you spoke to them, they were not intelligent people. Because if they were intelligent people, they would have reasoned their way out of that situation in a heartbeat. Mm. So, is it the same with like Scientology where you get? I believe so. They go for weak people. Like Tom Cruise comes across as a moron, but I think that's probably because he's a moron. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I think like Will Smith comes across as an idiot, but probably because he's an idiot. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if, if you think these dudes make bad movie choices it's probably because they don't know how to read <laughs> so I don't blame them for picking bad scripts um, I just think yeah these are all weak stupid people that the world would be better off without I don't believe in corporal punishment I don't believe in the death penalty uh, so I wish there was some sort of rocket we could fire them off into the universe in and just uh, satisfy ourselves that we didn't kill them ourselves but the Manson one the not just them I mean a lot of the stupid people in the world mm. but them especially because they did such an incredibly heinous thing born out of their stupidity because they all refuse to stop for a moment and think. Any moment, to just stop and think, wait a minute, if this guy really loves me, why does he treat me like crap? Wait a minute, if these people really care about me, why do they all forget about me when I'm not around? Which I'm sure they did. As soon as they were all in a group taking drugs, they all just forgot about whoever didn't happen to be there that day. Mm. Like, they're just stupid people. They've Charlie never... Manson would regularly forget their names. Like... Yeah, like they never looked inside themselves. They never questioned life. They never thought about anything more than I want, I feel, and I want, and I want my feelings validated. Fuck those selfish, idiotic fucking idiots. They, they're where they belong. I hope none of them ever get out. They're ridiculous mewlings about how they've found new life and, and, and they're, they're not the same person they were. You're exactly the same person you were. Until you stand up in front of a parole board and say you know what, I was a moron back then and I don't think I'm that much smarter now but I know enough now to know that I couldn't be sucked into something that that simple. I, I know now. There's no chance I'm going to give my entire life over to something without questioning it, which I've done with my religion and which I've done with that cult. They're all just idiots and uh, good riddance to a lot of them. Do you think... That was, that was harsh but awesome. Thank you. Do you think that... Um the LSD was provided by the government and yeah. Charlie Manson yeah. was trained yeah trained by the government this is, okay after to, do, to, to assassinate the 60s I don't think the, the I don't movement. think the government I, the drug culture if I had to hypothesise I'd say it was something like this they pulled in a load of inmates and they just cross-sectioned them and there was a control group where it was we're going to teach you the techniques the next group we're going to abuse you super hard physically the next group we're going to break you down mentally with, with psychic driving and they just tried different techniques and he was in the control group that was teach the techniques and send them out as a loose cannon in the world and see what happens and that's just what look, he was just lucky like yeah he was a loose cannon scattered gun and they got super lucky that he actually did bring it down but who knows how many other groups they started like a, a Jonestown group or whatever else yeah. how many groups did they, they help fund or did they help start or did they help supply with pharmaceuticals to keep them going and Manson was just a jackpot that the CIA hit an absolute jackpot it was a, it was like a, a false flag type event that they didn't have to orchestrate do you believe the girl's contrition not at all not at all, like not at all. Okay, full shit. Until you hear them say something even semi-intelligent, I can't believe that they've grown as human beings. So they're again they're bullshit mewlings about having grown as a human being. No thanks. Not I mean you're still a moron. The moron family, so they should be called. <laughs> but I really think they should be renamed the moron family. Gordo, off the fence. Is Charlie Manson guilty by proxy? 
my logical mind says yes, but like he, he didn't actually kill anybody. So would you be afraid of Charlie Mans get out today? Would you be afraid of him controlling your mind? I wouldn't be afraid of it. No, would you be afraid of him physically hurting you? Uh, no, I'm not. Is he that much of a danger of society then? To be, to be uh, now he's just a really old man who everybody knows the look of. And he's just like, his head. Yeah, a weird grey-haired old shouty motherfucker that people would be like, oh, this guy's weird. Like he'd never get away with that shit today. Yeah. It's much more subtle and it's much more sleek and sophisticated. That kind of mind control and that kind of manipulation is much better done today. So you say he's a vampire who's had his fangs removed? Yeah. So I does think, he not belong back in the public? Uh, I think, to be honest... In for a psychiatric hospital? For, no, for Charlie, I'd say leave him in prison. Okay. It's where he was always most happy. It was he was, he was was in there longer than he was out here. Oh. And when he was out here, he just wasn't happy. He wasn't able. He just He's not able for real life. And it's because of the shitty upbringing. And I'm not feeling sorry for him. I'm maybe having a polar opposite effect to your, you know... Fuck these cunts. Venomous, vitriolic <laughs> diatribe of, like, kind of semi, I wouldn't say hatred, but, like, Charlie Manson is just a poor, poor, fucked up dude who ended up, like, acquiring some skills he didn't really know he had, and then not knowing how powerful these skills were, using them, and then he made a mistake by killing some black dude, and then taking a load of bad acid all the same week, and he got double super paranoid, and then he just made all these people that loved him. Instead of like all of them collectively sucking on his Johnson, he's just like, okay, enough Johnson sucking, let's go kill people. Yeah. Because we have to start this race war that I've been going on about the Because I think Black Panthers are coming for me. Yeah, Black Panthers are coming for me. I'm getting double super paranoid, and you guys are, you guys are gonna, we're gonna run out of steam here, and uh, you're gonna end up leaving here because I'm gonna get killed by some black dude. So yeah. we gotta make some moves so I can get back in prison so I can be safe. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I, I'm with you in the sense that I really wonder where it'd gone if, like, that incident where he shot the the black drug dealer hadn't happened. If the murders hadn't happened, kind of like another. I'd love to have seen another 18 months without any murdering and seeing where that commune would have went. I'd say it would have went out of its fucking mind yeah. because that that they were, they were drinking the, acid for breakfast. I wouldn't hate them as much if they could have turned on themselves. Yeah, it's the, the fact that they Jones turned outwards and yeah. said, let's destroy everyone else around us. I was like, fuck you. Yeah, I mean, technically, obviously, Charlie Manson's guilt was, you know, proven in a court of law. He was complicit in a conspiracy to murder. And I mean, if three people got together and one person hated me enough to convince somebody else to murder me, for example, hire a hitman or something like that, I would hope that the person who hired a hitman and the hitman would go to jail if they were mm. both found out. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the hitman wouldn't kill me yeah. unless the other person coerced him to. So, I mean, everyone deserves a bit of justice. And look, at if he's convincing these people, yeah, go and kill, then, you know, yeah, he's we'll guilty. He yeah. is guilty. But, I mean, uh, for what they say now, for what the girls say now, they're like, yeah, it was all Charlie, it wasn't us. Like, that what you said like they're trying to throw the blame away yeah I mean that is kind of shitty and I don't really believe their their contrition it shows a lot of growth yeah I mean like shit man you've spent now more time in jail than you have been outside Mm -hmm. maybe less than Charlie but like not a whole lot less yeah to be honest and you, you, there's no way you can grow as people. You're not able to make like proper meaningful relationships. You're never going to get the experience of having a job and being responsible and having kids and, you know, having a, a husband or a boyfriend or indeed a girlfriend. It depends, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that you have to depend on and, and have someone that's that's selfless 
unless it's in a weird fucking drug fueled uh, uh, daddy complex fucking rapey sex weirdness with Charlie Manson. Like you never have cared for somebody else mm-hmm. and especially not yourself. Like exactly. they were broken people that could have been fixed and could have lived a lovely life. Yeah. Oh, no, just I just made agree. some bad Absolutely. choices yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and did what my ma was feared that I was going to do and every mother since the Manson family was afraid that their kids were going to do is take drugs and fall in with a bad crowd and end up killing a lot of people. Like, they done fucked up. Mm. And yeah, I think Charlie Manson is guilty. I do appreciate his personality and his weirdness. And he is a fucked up old dude and he was a fucked up young dude. But like, he was funny and he was insightful and, you know, he has got some interesting thoughts. Mm. But just like anyone can say like, yeah, okay, I mean, like, Hitler had the right idea about some things or whatever. Some people would say that, and you're, people, like, yeah. you're like, whoa, dude. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, you know, the Autobahn. He was a vegetarian. Vegetarian. Yeah, vegetarianism, okay. the Autobahn, yeah. like painting pictures of Alsatians, there are three nice things. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You can't, uh, you can't completely write somebody off for that. But I mean, at the very least, it, it made us aware of social consciousness and the effects of, you know, marginalizing the whole section or a whole age group of society and going damn kids are crazy and they did it in the 50s and they did it in the 60s and they did it in the 70s and they did it in the 80s and they did it in the 90s and what happened all those people done a fucking shitload of mad drugs got totally disaffected and disassociated from society and ended up some of them making really really bad decisions and getting fucked up far beyond repair or recognition and it's still happening where People are being disassociated and separate and disparate and getting away from the oneness that the LSD was probably fueling in them in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Like people are on their mobile phones, they're not, they're not connected, they're connected but not in a real way, and it's just really sick and weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Charlie Manson was guilty. Yeah, I don't believe I the girls' apologies. Do you believe in the MK Ultra connections? You I absolutely do. Yeah, I don't know about if Charlie was explicitly trained, like in prison. I think it was what you said. The scenario you said where you part of a control group mm-hmm. or possibly it was tried to be done on him and he was like too powerful to to he like he, he, yeah, he had, yeah he had a you know a very strong mind like a very mm-hmm. strong will and he just wouldn't let it happen to him so he was like yeah i got this you yeah. know he'd been abused before so that part didn't work on exactly him. he'd taken a lot of drugs that part didn't work exactly on him. yeah so i think uh there was definitely government involvement anyway with this stark dropping off all that acid that seems to mm-hmm. have you know a Walter fucked White up just shows the, up with a shit ton yeah, of crazy stuff. Fucked up all the Grateful Dead fans. I mean, all like, this, <laughs> we went to a Grateful Dead concert last year and there wasn't people biting each other's faces off. I wonder what's going wrong. Don't take the orange acid. Like, that's, you know, a telling in itself. Like, it's totally, oh. totally obvious now when we look back on it. But, like, you know. And um, the reasons why those people were killed, we'll, we'll never know. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Charlie will make up a hundred different stories and we'll, we'll never get the truth out of it. But yeah. the lesson that we have to learn is that uh, don't follow leaders and uh, watch your parking meters. <laughs> drugs are bad, okay? Drugs yeah. are bad. Yeah. So that's 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 me off the fence. It's drugs not, can be bad. It's not... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, marijuana is legal now in four states in America and they're making millions of dollars in taxes. Crime is down. Uh mostly because marijuana is legal yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. and uh, murder is down violent crime is down like it's all down because everyone's too stoned they're all walking drunk around drunk and disorderly is cool. down yeah. drunk and disorderly is down 
It's a totally peaceful drug. Who's to say in five years' time there won't be anybody like smoking some crazy like glass weed or something that's like less with PCP and they start fucking making a commune and stabbing up motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> but, you know, we can we can but hope and pray that it doesn't happen. And you look at people. There's no accounting for crazy. No, that's why it's called crazy. Yeah. And this is essentially, we're off the fence, this is essentially just a case of crazy a little bit. Crazy. There's a certain amount of crazy here that if that wasn't involved, this wouldn't have played out this way. Kentucky born and raised crazy mm-hmm. that got infectious. Shit happens, man. Yeah. And, you know, we keep watching Charlie and listening to the mad shit he says until he dies. And then when he dies, it'll just be a story. And, yeah. do you know, it may happen again. It may not. I don't think the world has learned a lesson because it's gone way more fucked up since he went into jail. He was only out for a short time. Like I said earlier on, Jimi Hendrix was only famous for three years. Yeah. And like Charlie and Jimi are as famous as each other. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Charlie was only in like in the mainstream of society for about five years. Yeah. So the rest mean, of the like, time locked up. Crazy. And he wasn't even a famous musician. Yeah. So anyway, that's it for this week. Yeah. This was a not too scary one. Like I said, we didn't we didn't hit you with too much. Yeah, before. it wasn't all the, the guts. and What we wanted was... Because this is an old story. This is something a lot of people have covered before. And we wanted was to give you a, a look at the factors and a look at what could be behind all of this. And the extra stuff that you wouldn't find in any of the normal documentaries, which I found to be quite filled up with the intimate and intricate details of the murders themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need too much of that when you're trying to... <laughs> when there's other interesting <laughs> get stuff. Get to work. To talk yeah, about, yeah, there's loads of interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah. So that's it for this time. Uh, if you want to talk to us about any of the stuff that happened on this week's show or any any of the thoughts and ideas or maybe some of the mistakes that we made or anything that you noticed, you can get us on doseconspiracyguys at gmail.com. Let mm-hmm. us know if you don't want the public to see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at tconspiracyguys or we're on Facebook forward slash doseconspiracyguys. Uh, we appreciate all the uh, the input and all the, the feedback we're getting from you guys. It's really... It's uplifting to it know is, that people nice. are out there loving it. Yeah. And uh, we really appreciate it. Big Did time. a couple of uh, episode requests in this run. Yeah. I think it's, it speaks to the people there. If you if you really want something, give us a shout. We might just do it. If you want it. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. Um, so all it leaves us to say is goodbye. Uh, I've been Gordon. I've been Paul. I've been Dave. And we want to thank Dave for coming and yeah, guest, thanks guest for dropping in again. And it's been, it's been it unreal, man. Yeah. Um, so thanks very much and we'll see you in the next one. Yeah. Hopefully something a bit sunshinier. Yeah, sunshine, orange sunshine. Orange sunshine. <laughs> no. Don't take the orange acid. Don't. Bye. Bye, folks. Drop out. Bye.